Hey, welcome to the 290th episode of The Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit <laughs> at the Rick Jones tier or higher, I had it. If you get if you commit to the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I just recently did a couple off my mind episodes, which is just like a random topic in the world of comics. I sometimes talk about movie, which um I did I did I did Life of Pi recently, and then sometimes I th- I think I'm gonna do a comic. Go back to comics for this week. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. I was I, I think part of the problem is as I'm doing that, I, I tend to close my eyes when I do that that intro part, the the, the please support me, I'm begging you um section. Because you know I do it every week. And I, I, I hope it's not like extremely annoying, but that that's the reality of it but i don't yeah i i had it i messed it up so this week 200 i was also thinking it's like 290 10 more episodes and we're at episode 300 and i'm not gonna do anything special probably i don't even can't even think 10 weeks from now right that's what that means so but this week the movie feature is shazam the power of of the gods and you can also hear about, there's going to be a new TV show. Uh, I, I think I've, I've alluded to it the week before, School Spirits. So uh, right now, as you're listening to this, well, as I record this, I should say, because I don't know when you're listening to this. As, as I record this, four episodes are out. They dropped three the first week. I only was able to watch two. You can hear about the first two episodes of School Spirits. It, it's a show with Peyton List. It's on um, Paramount+. Plus. So it's, I, I'm digging it. I, I'm, I'm hooked on the mystery, so you can hear more about those episodes. Um, there was also Superman and Lois, Return of Superman and Lois, um, and we had the season finale of The Last of Us, which, yeah, that was the previous week, but because it's Sunday night and I, I publish these on Sunday, you, you get it. And then um, Servant, which there will be one more Servant. As you list, as I record this, the final episode of Servant is out, but I'm it's a week behind. And then what, Star Wars Bad Batch, uh, Star Wars Mandalorian, uh, The Flash, uh, Star Trek Picard, um, I think that's it, and comic books. And let's talk about some news first. So this is going to be a, just a heavy episode, just so much one big thing in the news is, I mean, I think it was kind of, everyone kind of figured this out. James Gunn confirms that he's directing the Superman movie, Superman Legacy. So that's supposed to come out on July 11th, 2025. Uh, you know, he's working on a script. He's he's really into it. You know, I, apparently he was, he had a chance before to do it, but then he's like, like no, you know, he wasn't really feeling it or whatever. And so now everything lined up. So he, he's doing that. So that that sounds, sounds great. He's been, um, it, it seems like when when he's throwing images out, you know, or like you know, attaching images, it's he's done a lot of All Star Superman. So I don't know if that's like any indication or it's just one of the things. But there's also was he looking at a John Byrne comics, something like that. So I, I'm 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 down with with that line of thinking. So we'll have to see how, how that goes. Then um, Disney Plus. So there, there's a. A little like misinformation because that that's just how, how it goes earlier in the week 
people were, were, were talking about reporting that Disney Plus is canceling Willow after one season. But the original, the original report I saw said that it might be revisited at, at some point in the future. Then um, the showrunner like kind of stepped out. He's like, no, a lot of people are like falsely saying we're canceled. It's like, you know, we wouldn't necessarily call it that. So basically what they're saying is they, they season two supposedly is already written, like the, the scripts, the, the chapters and everything like that. But they're, they don't plan on necessarily filming anything like within the next 12 months. So what they decided, you know, it's not fair to all the people involved, you know, let them pursue other projects, whatever they need to do. And then it's just going to be a matter of, okay, now we're ready. When, when's it going to line up for everyone? Cause you know, that's, that's going to be the, the tricky part. If you have like a main actor who's already committed to something else. So we'll have to see how, how that goes. But yeah, they, they said that, you know, they already have everything you know ready to go and, and stuff. So it's, but they're also saying that, I, I think he it was the same same guy that said like kind of like the landscape of like streaming shows is, is kind of changed a little bit like you know the production schedule it, it could just be a matter of there's just so much stuff so it's like we got to slow down and then you know you look at all like the the visual effects production houses you know it, a lot of you know people share whatever you know they, they work in multiple projects so their workload could be you know full so it's like hey you know we're not gonna be able to get to this to you know such and such a date so who knows we'll see Mike Flanagan is talking about uh, the Dark Tower, which I'm I I absolutely hundred oh man I love the Dark Tower series so much the, the, those books just so so amazing. Then we had that movie, was it like I don't know if it was 2017 or was it before that I don't remember. Movie was disappointing, uh, you know. Unfortunately, it just. I I was just like you can't do this as a movie. It's just not not possible, you know. And and even if they did it as a trilogy, because you know we're talking seven books, and some of them are massive, and you know, and there's a, there's a couple novellas. So it's like you, you you can't do it. And then then the, the movie just kind of took a, like a different angle on it. It's like it, they didn't even necessarily go towards adapting the book. It was like a kind of side thing, which I was, I was like, you know, if you read the book, I was like, okay, maybe this kind of could work if, you know, I'm not going to spoil whatever. So basically Mike Flanagan's like, yeah, you know, he, that was a wrong approach. You know, they, they shouldn't have done that that way. And it, it seemed like that movie kind of killed the idea of like doing more things, you know, cause they, they were originally talking doing like a TV show and the movies and, you know, it's just, it, it didn't work out. So, hopefully you know he's he's very passionate about the the books and everything so i i just i can't wait i and i just fingers crossed it it's it's gonna be you know really good guillermo del toro so he is doing a frankenstein's eyes which i i'm not really sure what that means like the why is that that's the title but it it appears that oscar isaac andrew garfield and Mia Goth are in talks to be in there. Apparently, they've expressed like they're like, yeah, we're down for that, but nothing. There's been no official offers made or something like that. I, Hollywood is weird. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, so yeah, because uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio won an Oscar, right? I didn't, I didn't watch the Oscars. So I'm gonna be perfectly honest. I watched Last of Us and said, but Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I absolutely loved that movie when when it came out, and I saw it again just a couple weeks ago, just for the heck of it, not even thinking about the, the Oscars. But it it won seven Oscars, which is is amazing. That's awesome because it it was it was really good and it, it deserved. It. And you should see it. And there's, I feel like there's just so much 
in that movie. Speaking of The Last of Us, Gabriel Luna teases that um, there's going to be a bigger role for Tommy in the, the second season. Um, so that's cool because I, I, I think I got to I, I was I had the opportunity to interview him once for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and he, he was super cool. I mean, super excited. And, and that, that was just a, a lot of fun. If you haven't seen it yet because you, for whatever reason, don't want to subscribe to HBO Max or, or anything like that, it is coming out on Blu-ray and 4K on July 18th. So you'll be able to own that. And, you know, there's going to be like some featurette and stuff like that the finale it broke records it's eight like the most watched stuff it, it, it beat out uh, game of thrones i guess it was a game of thrones or game of thrones um house of the dragon i don't remember now i don't know why i'm asking you because you, you i can't hear you when you're you're answering and is they're, they're saying that it's it's good you know, to adapt last of us part two it's going to be more than one season so it's not like they're going to try to crack because like some people are saying they they kind of cut too much or they condensed too much for season one. You know, they could have done some more things, but, but that's just how it goes. So um, the question is, when are we getting season two? But, you know, don't rush it. Do it when it's when it's ready. So speaking of season two, Sweet Tooth season two. So this is uh, based off of the, the comic by Jeff Lemire. Um, it's, it's, it's coming up really soon. April 27th is it's a Thursday. So we'll be able to watch that. Uh, which just think about that kind of stresses me out because then it's like, oh, this the whole show is dropping at once. It's like, why, why do you do this to me? But that's my problem. Theo Rossi, who was Shades <laughs> in Luke Cage. I don't know how you feel about this character or the, the guy. I mean, the actor, you know, whatever. He, he, was, he was good in the role. But the character, I just never really got the character because he, he seemed like he had too much power, like too much, uh, what, and it's like, he's just a regular guy. It's like, how, what, what's going on? Anyways, he is, is apparently, um, was cast in the penguin. There's a few other people who were cast in there. So, um, it's, it's, it's amping up. So, so that, that, that's good. Silent Hill. I've never played again. I, I played some of the first game and, and, and the, the loading was just so weird, but you know, it was, that's the time is what late nineties, right? So re- they're doing a sequel. I knew nothing about this. They're doing a return to Silent Hill, which is kind of like a sequel to the movie, I guess. Uh, I'm sure, you know, you don't have to have seen the first movie. I saw the first movie. I feel like it was recently, but it was probably, it wasn't as recent as I, I thought. It's definitely like within the last five years. I didn't see when it first came out, but um, I enjoyed it. You know, it, it wasn't perfect or great, but I, I thought they did a good job with it, you know, based off of the, what little I know from the games. I, I, I liked it. So Jeremy Irvine and Hannah Emily Anderson are cast in it. It's so it's based off the second game, and they play like a, a couple, uh, James and Mary. So Sunderland, Mary had passed away some some years before the, the second game. You know the, the events of the game, and then James gets a letter from her like three years after her death, saying to meet her in Silent Hill, and then he goes there. And then if they go along with the game, if they're going along that route, so, you know, Mary's dead, but then there is this other woman, Maria, who looked just like Mary. He's like, what's going on? It's not Mary. So, uh, yeah. So I, I'm down for that. <laughs> Every time I drive and it's like super foggy in the morning, I'm like, Silent Hill, I'm driving to Silent Hill, which I don't want to go to Silent Hill. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Um, s- sad news, Lance Riddick. Um, you may know who he is. He's a, a John Wick. He's supposed to be in Ballerina, the the spinoff. I don't know if he 
I don't know if they've done anything. I don't think they've started that. Um, he was also infringed. Uh, he was in Lost. He was in uh, Resident Evil. Um, he passed away, 60 years old. And they're saying his natural causes. I'm like, 60 years old? is It's not old for natural? That doesn't seem natural to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. It gets me like, what? <laughs> it gets me thinking. Um, so, that, that's unfortunate. You know, condolences to you know friends and family. Um, that's just, it, it just... It, it blows me away. I mean, 60 is just way too young. And then the, the last bit of quote-unquote news, and I'm like very sarcastically wiggling my fingers, Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder, <laughs> he's teasing something about Darkseid. It's like, why? It's like, no, no, no more. No, no, no. He's, okay, he, he, he's he's not doing anything. He's got his, his rogue planet. Is that what it's called? He's got that whole thing. You know, they're doing movies and anime and whatever and this and that. And, and they're not selling the Justice, you know, Snyder Cut to Netflix. What Netflix couldn't, there, no one could afford for what they would want. No one could, could buy that. And, and then, because uh, the date, it had dates on there. It's April 28th to 30th. So there's not any conventions because I think it's WonderCon this week. I feel, I feel I don't know how I'm. I dropped the ball. I mean I wasn't really planning on going because financially I, I don't think it makes sense for me to go to WonderCon at this point. Um, but there's nothing happening in April because you know or is there going to be like a SnyderCon? Oh, that would be scary. Oh my gosh, I I don't know if I could go to a convention full of Snyder fans, <laughs> the Snyder Army convention. So it's like what, what's going on. Um, I, I feel like I've already spent too much time talking about it. It's just like, you know, uh, who cares? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's just it just seems weird. It's like why why it's it's done. It's over with. And just like um, the new segment, the new segment's over with because that's the news for the week. With comic books at Image Comics, there was Black Cloak number three. So I'm this is Kelly Thompson writing, and I'm just really fascinated with this story. Uh, at, at first, I was a little hesitant. I may have mentioned this with the first or the second issue. Just about some of the characters, you know, there's there's like some magic involved and some kind of like fantasy-ish elements. And, you know, that that's not my my, my personal favorite thing. But I'm, I'm really enjoying this where, you know, the main characters, so the black cloaks are kind of like these detectives. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of people don't don't like them or whatever because they're like basically like police officers. And uh, our main character, she used to be like in this like royalty house type of thing. And she was engaged as this one dude and everything like that. He ends up getting killed. So she's kind of like investigating and everything like that. So it's just like, you know, what's going on. And we're seeing more of this world trying to figure out what's, what's happening and everything like that. So, it, but it's just, it's, it's, I've, I've always find it so like cool and, and fascinating when, you know, you have a situation like this and, you know, just, just the, the creation of, of a whole new world and just, you know, the world building aspect. And it's just, it's so cool and fun to, to think about, you know, how, how that works. And, and, and then just seeing each like new section or corner of the world, just like fleshed out and explored and explained more. It's, it's just, I, I find it really cool. So, you know, you should check that out. Um, the first issue is like, like a double sized issue, you know, at the regular price. So, you know, it's, it's definitely cool to, to, to check out. Okay, and uh, speaking of, of new new worlds and books or whatever, uh, the forged. <laughs> I don't know why that sounds weird. The forged, 
<laughs> the past tense. Um, the Forge is by Greg Rucka, Eric Trotman, with art by Mike Henderson. So I, I love Mike Henderson's art. Um, in the 11th millennium of the rule of the Eternal Empress, a squad of planet-smashing super soldiers find a routine mission to be anything but. These are the Forged. I don't know why it sounds so weird when I say that. They take no prisoners. Written by Greg Rucka and Eric Troutman and brought to the page by Mike Henderson. Embark upon an over-the-top pulp adventure of sex, violence, and sci-fi inspired, sci-fi inspired by Conan, heavy metal, and other comics you tried to hide from your parents. So uh, not for everyone, but I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't like anything like over-the-top or anything like that. You know, there's kind of a little bit but it's it's interesting to, to see these super soldiers because there's like these women soldiers or something like that, and you know they have like certain rank in place in there, and then, then you know there's a mentioned an empress, and but there's this other. It's I'm I'm just really curious to to see this, you know, as as you watch the story unfold and just try to understand and and learn about how this world works, and you know, or and by world I just mean like this comic universe thing. So it's it's worth checking out, and you know I, I always say it's like it's it's worth checking out the the new image books, you know, as they come out, because uh, you never know, you know, when something really cool, and you don't want to miss out, and you're like, oh man, I, I wish I would have read that before, and then you find out it's like 17 issues in, and it's like I can't catch up with 17 issues, forget it. Even if it's like oh, it's five issues, I can't catch up. So you should check out the Forge. Then there's I Hate Fairyland number five. Um, so I, it's I, my hesitation here is I don't want to spoil things. What does the synopsis say? Because sometimes they spoil more than anything. End of story arc. The band plays on as Gert finds her groove again and finally makes her way closer to Fairyland, where she'll finish the mission. Um, billionaire Walter Wiggins sent her on ages ago. There will be dragon slain, villages saved, and a full song to listen to while following the action. So I don't usually do these things, but when you open up, there's like a, a scan, you know, QR code. Is that what they're called? So you, you, you scan, you know, take a picture of it with your phone and it opens up a link to a website. You go there and there's a song. So you, you play it and the opening, a good chunk of the comic, not necessarily a good chunk, but a, a big portion of the comics is is just images there's there's no dialogue so you're listening to the music which that kind of sort of takes place of it and it's just you know it, my thing is i was it wasn't a hundred percent clear cut like am i flipping through the panels too fast am i supposed to slow down should i speed up so it was one of those things so it's it's a, a large part like a silent issue but then there are are some things when it gets towards the end and uh so yeah, definitely ended a story arc, and um, where it's going to go from there, I it's I don't know. It's so it's it's I really like this issue. Aside from the fact that because there's no dialogue, it, it, essentially it kind of goes faster. But I guess you get the the added bonus of the music, but you have to log in. To, whatever. Um, Image 30th anniversary anthology 11 to 12. I don't remember the last issue I read. I, I need to gather these up my 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 copies and and go back and read those uh, there's kaya issue six this is um is this the beginning of the story arc or end of the story arc uh it basically you get the i mean you look at that cover you get the origin of, of kaya's arm so she has, she has this big like metal you know robotic arm so it's like what's up with that it's like why does she have that you know when, when the series started it was just there 
and so here we find out more and it was it was pretty cool cool to, to see that um there's a backup story that's illustrated by indie superstar al goffa dark angels of darkness it's a standalone story it's perfect jumping on point for new readers now apparently this backup story is only going to be in this issue uh, this is uh, there's a little note and i don't remember exactly so don't quote me on this but i, I the idea is you know there's going to be these like short stories you know one shot self-contained stories by you know other creative teams but they're not going to be contained in the trade paperbacks because it's supposed to be kind of like the reward it's like like you you know you buy the single issue thanks here you go here's a bonus story that's not going to be in the collected edition and the main reason is because you know i know a lot of people wait for the trades but it's the single issues that determine the success of a comic because you know you can't wait you know six months and then determine whether a comic's a success or not so they they kind of need to know month by month because you know is it viable to continue or they're just going to lose money or whatever so yeah you, you need to you need to support the, the single issues there um and then there is little monsters issue 11 so this um, like I, I say, this just this book kind of stresses me out sometimes because you know, he had all these kids who were vampires, and then you know they, they're left alone there by the adult vampires, and they're, they're just doing their own things. And then they got a taste for human blood because you know this is like in some post-apocalyptic future. You know, there's not a lot of people around, and they accidentally tasted blood, accidentally not accidentally, and and so there was like a divide in the group where you know some wanted more and everything like that, and now. Things have kind of changed, and um, yeah. So I, I just, I'm, I'm really digging this this series. You should be checking that out. Then there is Nemesis Reloaded issue three. So it this, it's so weird because this is you know like a reboot. You know, it, it's it's different. The synopsis: the secret origin of Nemesis. You do not want to miss this. That is all. So, like between last issue and this issue, we're finding out like who exactly is Nemesis. You know, where is he coming from? What's his motive and everything? It's it's kind of kind of weird because I feel like originally I don't know if we got this right away. So now that we're we're seeing like what what the motivation is, I mean, it kind of puts things in a different light. You know, um, does, it doesn't like take anything away from the character because he's still like for what he does. You know, brilliant. You know, tactician and, and just deadly with his tactics. So, um, tactician tactics. You know what I'm saying. So it, that's definitely interesting. Then there is no one. Um, this was really good. I highly recommend this. This is by Kyle Higgins and Brian Bucciolato with art by Gerardo Borges. Borges. Ten months ago, the Richard Rowe murders shocked the city of Pittsburgh. In a month since, the killings have sparked a dangerous political movement, copycat killers, and a mass vigilante who's still determined to hold a powerful accountable. Not a symbol. Not a hero. They could be anyone. They're no one. No slash one. Superstar writers Kyle Higgins, Radiant Black, and Brian Bucciolato. <laughs> I don't know whenever I say his name. Bucciolato. That's, that's, I think that's how it's, it just has to be said. Chicken Devil, which I, I, need to, I need to catch up on Chicken Devil. And rising star artist Gerardo Borges from Nightwing bring you the extra-length first chapter of a true crime superhero drama in its own corner of the massive verse. Plus, the story continues in Who Is No One? a monthly companion podcast starring Rachel Lee Cook, she's all that, and Patton Oswalt, the Sandman, Minor Threats, Marvel's Modoc. 
um, no one is a massive series. So I, I got to read this early, and there's a link to like the, the podcast thing, and unfortunately, it wasn't available yet, obviously. So I still need to listen to that. And um, what what I think is really cool about this comic, and I don't think this is spoilers or anything like that, but it's it's taking place in you know when when it's it takes place in real time. When you know you look read the issue, it's like March fifteenth because that's when the, the comic came out. So I I'm really curious to see how this because there there is actually mention of the podcast in the comic. You know, there's like this news media group that wants to cover this stuff and and they're kind of looking at it. It's like that's kind of the nature of things. You know, people are about the podcast now and not not just, you know, silly podcasts like mine. So, you know, the true crime podcasts are, you know, all the rage, apparently. And um, so I, I need to check that out because I, I think that that's a really cool concept. So it's, it's almost like you get extra stuff. You know, you read the comic and then you jump online or, you know, you subscribe to you, you, whatever, you know, your, your podcast service and then listen to see how it's, it's fleshed out or continued and like what more information you get. So it's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's different. You know, it's, it's not your regular comic book because there's this whole extra side to it. And to get like Rachel Lee Cook and, and Patton Oswalt, you know, they're putting some money into it you know i i don't think they're doing it like yeah sure i'll do it you know just for for pat on the back so it's you know definitely worth checking out that's all i'll say i'm no that's not all i'm sure i'll say more next time then there's noctera issue 12 this this is back and um I I don't know. So his new story arc, oh, we had a pretty big cliffhanger last time. Uh, I, I love Tony Daniels' art. Art. I almost said arc. Tony Daniels' art and Marcelo Maio, Maio, his color. I mean, it's just very nice and everything like that. I'm I'm still fascinated with this world. You know, the whole you know the, this everything that, that Scott Snyder has has established and set up, and you know we we still learn more. And you know, as much you know, we're we're at issue twelve now. And there's still like new information. You know, we we see some flashbacks to like when when uh, you know Val and um, Emery are, are kids, and um, just even finding out a little bit more about Emery, it's it's just like it's kind of heartbreaking in a way. And so it's 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 cool to see that while we've seen a lot, there's still more to see. And then like with with Val's new situation I, I don't know how you'd describe how i don't know i don't want to spoil anything in case you're not caught up for some strange reason but it's um there's a definitely and then uh, there's there's a lot of cool stuff but then uh, i say i don't want to spoil something someone pops up and it's just like oh man are you serious mm, if you read it you know who i'm talking about at DC Comics, uh, apparently, I, I meant to read this. I, I was like, I'm going to read this later. Multiversity, Harley screws up the DCU. So this is by Frank Thierry. Um, and I, I think the reason I didn't read this is I was thinking it was like an oversized, like one of those like 80 page or 100, you know, whatever. But it looks like it's just like a normal... Um, normal size comic and um i'm just flipping through the pages trying not to spoil myself um i yeah so if you read it let me know i i didn't read it so i i can't really speak onto it so i'll have to check that out 
Um, Justice Society of America, issue three. This is this is good stuff. It's um, the art. Oh my my gosh! You know, of course, you know we we have this amazing art. My, my, Mikhail Janin is art. Uh, Jeff Johns. I just. I don't know what it is about Jeff John's writing. And, you know, I, I know some people are like, oh, blah, 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 whatever. But it's just, there's just something, I don't know what it is. It's like epic. And I was, I wouldn't say I'm like a big Justice Society of America fan, but with Jeff John's writing, I mean, I'm like so, so hooked and intrigued. And with this new kind of angle that he's taking, where, you know, we have, uh, helena from the future helena wayne and it's now in in the past i'm like i part of me is like oh i don't know how i feel about this you know we're seeing stuff that happened in the future we're seeing like some characters get got killed and everything and then you know her in in a she ends up in a past and in the present you know stuff why you have to read but oh man i'm so hooked and it's just so we got like amazing writing and just the art and color it's just oh and jerry ordway does some of the art as as well so that i mean that's that's great and then jordy belair um doing the colors this is oh, it's just so good it, it it's like it makes me want to like what's that trade paperback going to look like it's like i or hardcover it's like i need to need this because it's just it's so good so yeah um basically you know helena's trying to figure out like what's going on with um the person involved and you know trying to contact the heroes and it's just i it's good i feel like i'm just gushing so much but i just i really enjoyed it lazarus planet revenge of the gods fortunately i didn't really love this i'm I just wasn't a big fan of all this Lazarus Planet stuff, and I don't something about it just didn't didn't vibe with me. I, I I can't really put my finger on it. So here, what's weird about this is you know there this is more this feels like it should be like in a Wonder Woman comic because you know there, there's a, a a lot of stuff dealt there with with Wonder Woman and with um who who is Zeus's wife? Not it's not I forget, but. Uh, I'm just not. I'm, I'm not big on the gods either, so that, that's what I think. Um, Batgirl's sixteen. The, the only problem I had with this issue is the main villain of the, the or the main villain. The only villain is Mad Hatter, and I just, I just think he's 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 a, a silly character, and and I guess he's scary in a way. Just how he. He can be portrayed as kind of disturbed in a way. You know, it's it's kind of sick, like what he's trying to do. So yeah, he's he's got his sights on on the Batgirls, and you know, he throws out an invitation to him, and he's just he's just yeah, really disturbed. Um, then there's Superman Lost, issue one. So this is by Christopher Priest. It is Christopher Priest, right? It just says Priest and anything. Carlo. Uh, I'm surprised. I, I don't think I've ever like pronounced his name. Pagulayan. Again, as you know, I'm horrible with names. So this is, um, I don't think this is in continuity. And again, things don't have to be. But basically, uh, I don't know what how much I should spoil with this. But we have Superman. They, the Justice League investigates an incident and um something happened to superman we'll just say that again like i don't feel like i don't know how much i should just i don't know like what what's been said about it 
it's it's definitely interesting to see. I, I'm really curious to like know like what what exactly happened to Superman because you know there's like this gap. Like where did he go, and what exactly does the one time frame thing reference mean? So I'm I'm yeah I'm I'm definitely hooked to, to see what's going to happen there. Danger Street issue four. I'm still I for some reason I'm I'm curious about what's going to happen, but. I'm not overly excited about what it's. It's so weird because I'm, I'm looking at like some of the characters. I'm just like, eh, okay, this lady cop or whatever you know you want to call her. That's what they call her. I, I'm I, I like her. I'm curious. I want to see like her story played out, but like some of the others, and I don't I don't know. So it's um yeah it's 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 for me it's just it's a weird book because I don't really know like what the point is and i don't mean that in a bad way at all you know because we have creeper in there and we have like you know they're just yeah it's just it's weird but i'm, I'm like so curious and I, when i say it's weird i don't mean that in a bad way batman incorporated issue six i i'm just i'm not a big Ghostmaker fan and it seems weird because like clown hunters now is like all mad at him and he's like He's like one point. He's like really rude because Ghostmaker's like, okay, we're gonna do this. You know, you two do this. You two, you know, whatever. And he's like, Clown Hunter, you come with me. And he's like, no, I'm not going with you. Because after blah blah blah, it's like, dude, then get the heck out. It's like you can't talk to him like that. Uh, then there's Wildcats issue five. This is another just like so weird because it's taking you know a lot of the the Wildstorm characters and just putting them all in the same book. And there's lots of things that are kind of little tweaked a little bit you know from the, the characters that we know and it's i'm so completely fascinated with like wait what does this mean like even it's like stuff that's with death blow i i'm so confused i was like wait what's happening here and like caitlin fairchild you know there's been like a, a twist to her and uh it's just yeah i, I mean I am just so, so intrigued. And then, you know, so we have the Wildcats team, but then they decided to have this, this other team as like the kind of cover. It's more like for the media. And, but they call, instead of calling Wildcats or like the seven soldiers of victory, I think they're going with that. So it's just, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so, I'm, I'm just intrigued and I, I just, I need to know more at Marvel. We had Avengers Forever 15. Guess who didn't read it? <laughs> Me. I, this is, how is this still going on? Every every time an issue comes out, and again, if you're enjoying this, I, I'm so I'm so happy. No no sarcasm at all. But for me, it's like, I just can't get into it. I, I don't care about Mephisto. I don't care about this multiverse. It feels like it's been going forever. And every time an issue comes out, I'm like, okay, this is it. This last issue, I'm going to read it to see all the closure and everything. And then I find out, it's like, no, it's not the last issue. It's still to be continued. Oh, man. Avengers War Across Time, issue three. So this is by Paul Levitz and Alan Davis. And this is just like classic old school Avengers. You know, this is supposed to be kind of like... Uh, I guess it'd be Silver Age. You know, we we have like the Avengers when they you know just recently got together. But you know, with Alan Davis, I just I love Alan Davis's art, and uh, I'm not super crazy about the nemesis that they have here because you know they're dealing with this troll dude. You know, the guy what's his name that made the hammer and um, 
but yeah, so there's uh, some definitely problems that they have to do. The Avengers are having to deal with here, but it, it's it's a, it's a fun book. Um, Bishop War College. I didn't read this. This is issue two. I, I read the first one. I'm not the biggest Bishop fan, and I, I think I was a little put off with the first one where Bishop is just getting like all hoity-toity, and he's just, you know, he he's trying to instruct some students, but he's just like just rude and, and just so extreme, and I don't mean extreme, no pun intended, but he's just like really putting them to the test and stuff like that because, you know, I get what he's talking about from his horrific future. You know, he's trying to get them ready for anything or ready for the worst. But it's just like, like, dude, like that you can't, that's not the way to do it. It's like, I can't, like, I would never like yell at my kids or do, you know, just to try to scare them or force them to, to, you know, this is for your own good type of thing. It's like, that's not going to work. And I'm not at the same time, I'm not going to be like, Oh, I'm your best friend. Let's, let's do this. Let's, you know, you got to find that line. But, that's just, uh, I don't know. And then, yeah, there's like some maybe time travel stuff going on. Bishop's like, wait, what's going on? I don't know. Captain America, Symbol of Truth, issue 11. I wasn't super crazy about this story arc. Um, it This white wolf, it's like, uh, I don't know. But it's, um, what's weird, because like Sam gets like so mad. He's like, oh, I'm going to kill you and everything like that. It's like, I can't believe you do it. I'll just have to use these, you know, you're tarnishing this and that. And but it's like, dude, you can't kill. You're Captain America. You got to calm down. I don't know. Captain Marvel, issue 47. Um, I normally, I love this book. I didn't love this issue. And, and I don't know if it's just so much of what Captain Marvel has to do to kind of solve one little problem but it's maybe it's it's the brood because i i'm not a super fan of the brood and i'm i i'm realizing more and more it's like there's just seeing things that i don't like and when they appear in the comics i'm just i just don't enjoy it and i don't know if if it's maybe i'm getting older that i'm just like I, I, I'm not going to just settle for it or put up with it but if it's something i don't like then i'm i'm not going to pretend that i like it or and not that i'm i did that before but i'm just i th I think i'm drawing more a line where in the past it's like oh to brood on it whatever it's it's captain marvel or it's avengers as whole you know i gotta read it because i i'm always reading it so I, I think i'm kind of putting my foot down more where i'll i'm not going to read it i'll still kind of maybe flip through it to see if anything important and you know try to catch anything important but i'm getting to the point where I'm not going to force myself to read this, even if there are characters that I like in the book, you know, like Avengers. I loved Avengers. I loved, you know, Jason Aaron is, is writing, but I, I just can't get into that stuff. So I'm not going to you know, push myself. I don't know. Gold Goblin issue five. So I think this was the last issue. I don't know if this was a five issue miniseries. I'm not seeing it mentioned on the cover. I so you know, Norman Osborn. I, I'm okay with him being kind of redeemed. You know, try, he's trying to do the, the right thing. His, his sins were removed or whatever. I'm not super crazy about the whole gold goblin costume. It just doesn't look right. I don't know something about it, and so I feel like that's like a slight turnoff. But there has been some interesting things with with Norman trying to deal with his demons, you know, his, you know, like the stuff that he did where, you know, he has been cleansed in a way, but it's not like he's just forgotten all the evil stuff. And, you know, there is like just thinking about like Gwen Stacy, like he's haunted by that. You know, what exactly does that mean? Like what's, what's going on there? But 
you know, him just dealing with thing. The only thing I don't like is the goblin, the queen goblin. Um, the, the name is, is kind of, I, I kind of like, because instead of green, it's queen. It's a queen goblin. But Dr. Kafka, it's like, what, why, what, what, are, what, what's your goal here? Like, what are you trying to do? So uh, yeah, it was uh, not my favorite issue. Um, Hellcat issue one. Um, this, this was good. I, I'm not the biggest Hellcat fan, but you know, I, I've read, I probably read more of her w- when she was in She-Hulk or, you know, in Iron Man recently. And I, I, I do like the character, you know, the more I read of her, I, I'm like impressed. I don't know if that's the right word that I really want here, but I, I kind of like where she's coming from and, you know, what she's able to do and just like, kind of like her attitude or just something with, we do, I don't know. I don't think it's a spoiler, but if it is, I'm going to mention it. There is an appearance by a, yes. Okay. It does mention it. What's his name? Rick, Rick, Rick Sheridan, uh, sleepwalker. So he, he's in here and um, there's some stuff going on there, but basically uh Hellcat is, is kind of, sort of accused of maybe committing a crime like what a hulk issue 13 i'm i'm just not enjoying this warship hulk thing or you know this hulk as a ship and just a world breaker stuff and i I don't know then uh miles morales spider-man issue four so this is continuing where he is going his new villain rabble she entered the lottery for the school where miles goes to the prestigious school miles won the 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 lottery you know he wasn't even expecting it or anything like that so he's going there so this rabble person her thing is you know she could have gone she you know she could have won a lot i think she was her number was like one off than what miles got so she's just so bitter and upset that you know she didn't get to go to the school but it's like it's not like Miles is, you know, made of money or his family or anything like that. It's like, you know, maybe they could afford it. They could have, you know, figured out a way. So she is just like, you know, you don't deserve this. You don't appreciate it and everything like that. So she's just like attacking him, threatening his friends for threatening his family. It's just like, you don't get your way. So you become a supervillain. That's just, I don't know. seems weird. Um, Red Goblin, that was another one I was going to read. I didn't get to it. So I didn't did not love the first issue. I don't know if it gets better with the second, but there's that. And then there was Secret Invasion, issue five. Um, I think this was the final issue. And this uh, this has been an interesting book. I, I really like it. You know, it, I feel like it's, it's scary in a way with, you know, how they're portraying the, the scrolls and the possibilities of them just infiltrating whoever they want again. Cause when it happened originally, it just felt like, you know, things were normal. And then here's all these scrolls like popping up. And so it's like, almost like there wasn't really time to process what was happening. But then here, I, I, I kind of like lost my train of thought there for a second. I feel like I, I, I don't know if I started rambling. I'm going to have to listen. I'm going to have to, pay careful attention because I, th- I think I might have been kind of I'm, I'm really tired right now <laughs> so I think I might have kind of and, and I'm just starting this the show I don't know if I just started babbling and just like not really going anywhere so Secret Invasion has been really good but it's, it's just it's like on a smaller scale 
it's smaller but more concise more precise rather than just like blah 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 blah, you know just like stuff all over there there's more um, like control over it which just makes it and and with the new developments you know there's kind of some scary things and uh you know maria hill is just just doing a lot i mean she really steps up here the only thing that bothers me is how nick fury it's like this isn't nick fury this is nick fury jr and i don't know then there's star wars yoda so this is you know we're we got more a little bit more of young count dooku but there's a lot of focus on some of the, the younglings and their training because this Wookiee student, he had a vision about this Transdocian who are normally enemies. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of tension there because he doesn't trust us. They used to be like good friends, but then he had this vision, which you know doesn't even mean it's accurate. And so now he thinks that this Transdocian is going to turn to the dark side or whatever and... Then he actually takes advice from Dooku. It's like, you know, that's that's not going to go well. Um, then there's Wolverine 31. This is dealing with the fact that Beast is a complete piece of crap. And he's he's gone like pure supervillain now. He's, you know, he stole like all his, his memory databanks or whatever. And because, uh, you know, what he did before, the, the main thing where he totally crossed the line he interrupted Wolverine's like resurrection process before his mind was formed and used him as a killing machine. Use him as a weapon. Like, you know, who sorry Wolverine, who cares? You know, you have no rights or anything. I'm just gonna use you. So obviously that's not gonna sit well with Wolverine or anyone, but now he's he's taken off and he's just like really laying the threats down because he's like, you know, don't come after me. He's like, you know, this is it. And he's at the last you know, towards the end, he's like making his own clones, you know, because he he has like other beast bodies like ready to go. He actually, spoiler, he actually like they're they're active. So you're taking this extremely smart person, and now there's more of them working on whatever problem to save the world or take over the world or whatever. There's more of them working on it, so different angles, and it's just it's scary, I guess. Then there's the excellent issue one. So this is Peter Milligan and Mike Allred. This is like from the ecstatics, you know, all, all that stuff. And it basically picks up where the just recent series ended with, a, you know, we have Zeitgeist, his, his group, and a Sensitive, what's his name, Sensitive Boy? Sensitive Man? I don't know why I'm, I'm forgetting now. But... It's just this this series is it's it's a lot of fun because you know a, a large portion of it is like they're following you know they 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 need to get these social social media followers for their popularity and there's a lot of competition and um, some questionable things happening and it's just uh, and Mike Allred's art and Laura Allred's color I mean they could do anything uh, so I remember when Mike Allred and Laura Allred they they did this Bacardi comic because uh, uh, uh han Allred posted it like in his story about this this book and i was just like yeah i totally remember that when that came because it, i it was sent to me from bacardi and which was really cool but it's like mike Allred, mike and laura could like do anything i would read it but with peter milligan and just like, these characters it's just so so weird and bizarre so you definitely should read all of it if you start here you might be like wait what's going on but it's just it's really cool and um 
what's also really cool is that is comics for the week. So a little shorter, a little faster, but there is still so much left to talk about. So that's comics for the week. Okay. Oh boy. Servant season four, episode nine, awake this, this episode, this was, it was actually directed by M night Shyamalan. He said he wanted to direct this episode because of like stuff that happens. So it starts off Dorothy, calls the hospital she's trying to find out what happened to sean and julian uh you know leanne's there you know she gets put put on hold and you know she tells leanne she's like i don't mean to upset you but she's like i need to know what happened to them and leanne's like don't worry dorothy everything's going to be okay i'm sure it'll come home to you in one piece dorothy finally gets patched through to sean and he says that he's okay he's like i need to see you he's like there's something we need to talk about he's like and i, I don't he's like i don't think i'm gonna get discharged because first he's like is, is there anyone there or is anyone listening or can anyone hear you or something like that? And she's like, yeah, I'm here with Leanne. And he's like, he says he doesn't think he's going to get discharged any anytime soon because the hospital's crowded. And she's like, how long You know, does he think? And he's like, I don't know, days, maybe a week? And he's like, I'll have Toby bring over some food, your favorites. And she's like, oh, I don't need food, I need you. But he's like, no, he's like 8 a.m. He's like, I'll have him bring you know a basket over with some stuff. So it's like poor Toby's like now he's got to you know put all this stuff together. So then uh, shortly after, Leanne calls Doctor Waddell. She's like upstairs, and she says that she's Dorothy. She's like, oh, this is Dorothy calling again. So the doctor pu- puts her through to Sean because Sean's like he's like Dorothy because he thinks it's it's her, and she's like, how are you feeling, Sean? And he's like, Leanne. And Leanne's like, did Doctor Waddell tell you how close the knife was to your artery? It's a miracle you're still alive. So it's just like, oh man. It's like, is Leanne evil? Because then Sean's like, Dorothy's stronger than both of us combined. She'll fight you. And Leanne's like, rest well, Sean. After you heal, you're going to have to build yourself a whole new life. That'll take some effort. And she hangs up. So Leanne tells Dorothy that, you know, she, you know she's like, I'll, she'll stay in her room. You know, the storm would wake Jericho. And, you know, she, she knows that sometimes she gets scared when Sean's out there. In the morning, Dorothy wakes, you know, Jericho's like laying next to her. It's still raining outside. She goes down in her chairlift with Jericho. You know, not, she's got him like in a baby carrier, which doesn't seem like that. That would could not be good for her back because it, it puts pressure on her, even the waiter design. But she goes to the living room. Leanne comes in. She's like, oh, I thought it'd make more sense to have the sofa facing the television. Dorothy's like, when would you do this? And Leanne's like, oh, I couldn't sleep. I was too excited. She's like, I thought the three of us could maybe watch a movie. And Dorothy's like, okay. And she's like, are you, yeah? She's like, no, I want to. Because, you know, Leanne's like, are you just saying that? Then the doorbell rings. And Dorothy's like, oh, that could be Toby. And then Leanne's like, could you get it? Because, you know, she, she's like, I don't think I should. You know, me and Toby. And she's like, I have to use the bathroom anyway. So she's been avoiding Toby. And then Dorothy stumbles to the door. There's just a gift basket there. She slowly reaches down. She gets a card. And it says, behind the construction... Pretend like you're speaking to Toby. We need to talk. It can wait, or it can't wait. And then um, Leanne's like in the bathroom, like kind of listening. You know, the door is like open, and she's like, "Oh, thanks, Toby." He's like, "Yeah, we missed him. Oh, the doctor said they're doing well." And so then she comes in. Dorothy um, tells Leanne that Toby said hello, and and she's like, "Could you bring the basket and whatever?" And then she's like, "Could you put the the movie on upstairs?" It's like me and Jericho will be up in a minute. And Leanne, like, she's like, I know you. She's like, you're just trying to distract me so you can leave again. Dorothy's like, look outside. She's like, do you really think that me and Jericho could get anywhere in my condition? And she's like, if I could have left, I would have. So Leanne's like, we'll just watch in the living room. So they're watching Wizard of Oz. Then Dorothy is like, she's like, 
I'm not feeling well. She's like, my back, my legs. She's like, I, th- I think I just want to take a pill and knock out for a bit. And she's like, could you watch Jericho? You know, give him a bath, read him some books. And then, so she asked Leanne to get some, you know, upstairs. She's like, could you get you some bath toys and stuff? So Dorothy whispers to Jericho. She's like, I just need to go outside and talk to daddy. She's like, I'll be right back for him. So at first, I, I guess maybe it was Sean's handwriting. Because I was like, who wrote this note? I was like, is it really... You know, it's like, it's not George because he's gone. But she says, that, you know, I guess it was, it was Sean's handwriting. So in, in her room, you know, she's sitting there. She takes a pill. She prints, pretends like she, you know, she's going to take it because Leanne's watching. So she puts it in her mouth and everything. And then you see, you know, Leanne takes, says, okay, bye, mommy. You know, she, and then she just like walks down the hall, like the silhouette form. And then Dorothy takes the pill out. And she's like, listen to them because they're, they're like upstairs, you know, in, in the other bathroom. And she takes the baby monitor, she closes, she kind of fluffs up a pillow under the covers or whatever, closes the bedroom door. She's using a walker, but it's like creaking. So she, and she's like still listening upstairs. You can hear like the water running and Leanne like talking to Jericho. So she decides to leave the, 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 the whatever, the walker. And she's just kind of like hugging the walls, kind of like using the walls to, to help her down. And then she doesn't use a, the chairlift. She walks down the stairs and says, just like, you know, gripping onto the, you know, the, the railing. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to fall over again. Makes it to ground level, grabs a coat uh, off the wall, walks, you know, along the fence, the walls and everything, makes it to the car. So Sean and Julian are actually inside. She has like knocking a window. So she hugs, hugs Sean. He like groans because, you know, he's in pain or anything. She's like, what happened? And she's like, Leanne, did this you? And Julian's like, kind of. He's like, she's fudging crazy. And Sean said that, uh, you know, Toby said Leanne's been avoiding him lately, so he knew that she wouldn't get the basket. Then she hears like Jericho's crying on the baby monitor, and Julian's like, Sean, we need to do this. And he's like, I know. And Dorothy's like, What? And Julian's like, Dottie, there's, there's something we need to, to talk to you about. And Sean's like, Maybe we should have this conversation someplace else. He's like, Why don't we go to Frank's? Which I, I think that's their dad. And she's like, We're not leaving. You know, she like looked because, you know, Jericho's inside. She like looks at Sean. She's like, What are you talking about? Sean's like, I know what I'm asking for of you, but you got to trust me on this one. And she's like, Jericho's in there with her. And then Julian's like, Dottie. And she's like, enough. She's like, if you ask me one more time, I'm getting out of this car. Sean's like, okay. It's like, we're just going to have to have the conversation here. So you see, you know, then we see Leanne's like coming. She looks out the window to the empty street. You see like just a big hole, the crater and road. And it's like, you know, cordoned off or whatever. There's like no one out there because of the rain. Then she goes to Dorothy's room and she reaches for, starts to turn a knob. But then she decides not to because she's like, Dorothy's sleeping. So she just turns around. In the car, in the SUV, whatever, Sean asked Dorothy, she's like, how much do you remember about last August? And she's like, August? And she whispers, she's like, who told you that? Sean's like, what do you remember? Where does your memory stop? And she's like, Sean, how could you possibly know? I've been struggling with this for a week. I feel like I'm losing my mind. And Sean's like, I wasn't ready then. But he's like, I think I can help you. What do you remember? And she's like, Nothing. She's like, I don't remember anything. Sean's like, I took a guest spot on Gourmet Gauntlet in Los Angeles. That's the reason they asked me to host this season. And she's like, yeah, okay. He's like, I tried to talk about this in the bedroom. Remember that? She's like, I don't know. She's like, what is this? What are we even talking about? He's like, I should never have done the job. I think I knew that even then. I was just so tired. No one tells you how hard it is to be a dad. And I'm not a natural parent. Not like you. You know, he's like, I just wanted to get away. And I thought I should be allowed to get away, if only for a little. And I guess I've, I've always been a coward. And she's like, Sean, if you're going to tell me that you slept with some woman while you're in California, you can just skip it. And we can talk about this when our family is safe. Julian starts sobbing. 
And she's like, what? What is it? And Julian's like, you called me a, a couple days in. You told me you were struggling. He's like, I could hear it in your voice. She's like, why would I tell you that? I wasn't struggling. He's like, you you wouldn't remember. He's like, you. I knew you needed me, but I decided not to come because I wanted to score some drugs. I decided, yeah, I'm so sorry I didn't come. And she's like, you both sound crazy. And she kind of chuckles. She's like, I didn't call you. Julian takes out his phone, plays a voicemail. And you know she's like talking. She's like, hey, Julian. And she like starts crying. She's like, I'm just having a hard time. She's like, Jericho's just crying and crying. She's like, I've tried everything. And then Dorothy's just like listening and her face is kind of like pale. She's like, just like in shock, like disbelief. So then on, on recording, she's like, she was just really overwhelmed right now. She's like, if, if maybe he could come by even for a couple hours. And she's like, I don't. She's like, what's happening? Sean's like, after it happened, we thought Natalie could help. She said she knew of a new therapy that had helped people. You got to understand, we didn't know how to get through to you. I mean, you were there, but you were gone, you know? And you're the one who always makes hard decisions. She's like, what's going on? It doesn't make sense. Can someone just tell me something that makes sense, please? And Sean's like, I'm trying. He's like, there was a doll, and it really worked for you. It, it seemed to help. You thought it was him, just like that. We had Dorothy back. And I, I don't know how long I thought it would last, but... I'd have let it gone on forever if it meant I could keep you with me. And she's like, a doll? I, I thought a doll was who? Sean? Dorothy, I know you're going to blame yourself. It's who you are, but you can't do that. We were both so overwhelmed, and I had left you to deal with it all alone. It, it was just an accident. It was a freak accident. You you remember how hot it was that summer? And the camera, but this is like a really cool shot because the camera's like slowly like zooming into her face as you know Sean's talking off camera. And she's just like totally staring in disbelief like... So, like, just trying to take it in. You you took him to the grocery store. Your hands were full. And she's like, what? He's like, I know you, you, you want to shut it away, but you have to remember. You have to remember now, Dorothy. Honey, it was just a mistake. And Julian's like, Dottie, just try to remember. So then it's like inside, uh, you know, the window of Jericho's room's open. It's not raining, but it's a little windy because the mobile's, like, blowing. But it's nighttime. But then we see Dorothy standing over the crib. So this is actually a flashback to August because she's staring down and the crib's empty. Because she left Jericho in the car. So she slowly walks down, like towards the door. You know, she goes downstairs and she opens the door. She looks, you know, cars a couple times. And that's the thing. It's like they're parked in the same exact spot, like like two cars maybe away to the, to the right of the house. And, you know, she starts walking towards it. She opens the back door, which is, it was weird because it was unlocked. I thought there was a, a scene when we saw this before where, where someone was like walking down the street and saw a discovered the baby but maybe not or maybe she just closed the door after so she opens no because she opens the back door and then she like reaches on unbuckle then it cuts to like a police officer so like back in the house and this officer she's like mrs turner are you all right so they're like in you know they're in the living room there's like two other cops you know behind her she's like mrs turner i'm a police officer would it be all right if i asked you about your son it's jericho right what happened dorothy's just like lying in the sofa she's just like catatonic and the officer's like, do you remember? And there's like nothing. So she motions the other two officers. And then it, it cuts like the three guys kind of like in hazmat suits or whatever. And one's like, I'm so sorry, ma'am. And, you know, one's carrying like a bundle, you know, the, the dead baby. So Dorothy, then she's just like standing in a daze. And it cuts to like Sean and Julian are there. And Sean's like, Dorothy, sweetie. It's like, please talk to me. Dorothy, come in. And she's just like, just like not there. So then in the present, Dorothy just like screams, blood curling scream, and then she starts like moves it to get out of out of the car. Sean like grunts, he's like trying to stop, and you know he grabs her, holds her, he's like Julian, 
And then, but you know, he's in pain and everything like that. So Julian's trying to trying to to help. She saw. Then she like she she like kind of bends Julian's thumb, I think, or something like that. And then she like elbows Sean like in the, in the, the cheek, and she starts like kicking the window. You know, it cracks a little bit. The baby monitor gets knocked down and it gets smashed. She scratches Julian in the face, and she gets loose. And she like stumbles out, out the door. She's crawling on a pavement. Sean and Julian like, go to her, and they all just like they're all you know they both like hug her and like hold her, and they're like on the sidewalk. And she's like, "Oh God, oh God." Leanne, meanwhile, is sitting in a chair while Jericho's sleeping in the crib. She goes to the window again, looks out, sees absolutely nothing. Then she decides to look the other way. So she goes to the other side of the window and looks to the right. Sees the car with the doors open. Sean and Julian are helping Dorothy walk, you know, to the, to the front door and then they open it. Sean's like, Leanne, he's like, come down here. We told her everything. It's over, Leanne. And then quietly, Leanne's like, I'm, I'm right here. You don't need to shout. Julian's like, she knows the truth. It's over. Leanne's like, Jericho missed you today, Dorothy. Don't you want to hold your son? And Julian's like, it's a doll. Sean's like, is that supposed to be funny? And Leanne's like, nothing's funny, Sean. Julian like yells for her to stop her fudging games, says that you know they know about her tunnels and she's been switching the baby and the doll to fudge with them. You know, she has nothing over them anymore. No one will believe you. Leanne's like, I wouldn't be so sure about that. She's like, Dorothy, I can't imagine how hard this must be for you. And I'm so sorry it had to happen this way. But now you know everything and you know what I've done for you. Sean's like, you need to get that heck out of this house. And Julian's like, you're mentally unstable. You just leave us alone. Leanne's like, when I found out it was your fault that he died? And he's like, now, Leanne. Leanne's like, I was so angry at you. Then I realized that was my purpose. My purpose was to help you fix this mistake. Julian's like, you're, or he says, says to Dorothy, like, she's a freaking psychopath. and Just, just ignore her. Leanne's like, I can do extraordinary things, Dorothy. Things that are hard to believe sometimes. But the most extraordinary thing that I ever done in my life was for you. I brought your son back to life. Sean tells Dorothy, he's like, don't listen to her. It was never Jericho. It was someone else's child. Leanne's like, this doll is here because Sean and Julian have had a hard time believing in things. And Dorothy like slowly like looks at Sean. She's kind of like, almost like she's mad. And Leanne's like, I needed to punish them. So I sent Jericho back to the place that he'll be without me. Julian's like, we found a family looking for their baby just a couple states away. It's like, when did that happen? There's never any mention of a family looking. And, you know, Uncle George said it was a junkie who lost her kid. So I don't know. But Sean's like, she stole the baby from another mom just, just to try to make us think that she was special. She must have hidden some, in somewhere in the house right now. And you know, she's manipulating you like you know, she did all of us. Leanne's like, they don't understand. They couldn't. But you can. A mother always knows her child. Sean's like, it was never Jericho. And Leanne's like, there are things that, you, that just can't be explained. Like the bond between a mother and a child. Like life and death. Like me. But you know the truth, Dorothy, don't you? Because you've held him. And you've held his heartbeat. And Dorothy just kind of whimpers. Leanne's like, and you know that was Jericho. You know that that was your son. You know? And Dor Dorothy, you believe me, don't you? Julian's like, she knows you're vulnerable. She's taking advantage. Dorothy just like stares. She's like looking right in Leanne's face. And Leanne's like just like getting closer. She's like, Dorothy, I can bring him back for good. Julian's like, shut the f up he's like and she, leanne's like we'll never have to do this again it'll just be you and me and him you once told me you would do anything for jericho he's like then here's your chance all you have to do is say yes i'll give you everything you want just say yes and then dorothy's like looks her in the eyes and she's like just say yes 
and then it cuts to black. And that's the episode. So it's just like, I mean, they're making it like Leanne's like, like, you know, you're trying to make a deal with the devil. Like, just say, yeah, and I'll give you this imaginary life that you want. Um, so it, there's still a question, like, is, is it true? Is this someone else's baby? Or is there some sort of magical ability where the doll is turning to life? Because, and, and you know, it could be. You know, it could be partly how how George described it, you know, and she put the baby in the tunnel, and when she leaves the house, and but for them not the the baby not the I don't know, but man that that uh yeah the 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 when she discovered that what had happened, I mean it was it was I I I, I kind of get annoyed with with uh, Dorothy, but that was that was kind of a powerful scene. So um yeah, so so next week. I mean, it's it's the finale. It's it's the last episode. Um, actually, by the time you listen to this, um, it, it's out already. So that was Servant. All right, then with The Last of Us, this is the season finale. Season one, episode nine, Look for the Light. <sighs> it starts off with this woman like running through the woods and you see she's pregnant. So And there's like some screams in the distance. She sees this old farmhouse. She goes in, she closes the door, she yells. She's like, it's me. She's like, anyone. So, And then she's like in pain. So it's like, is she in labor? Yeah, because she's going upstairs, her water breaks. She goes in the bedroom, she puts a chair up against the door. The room's like pretty bare, so it's this like rundown place. There's, you know, it's not like someone's really living there. And then, and she has a switchblade. So she, you know, has the knife out. She's pounding on a door and everything like that. Infected breaks through and is like on top of her and everything. Like she grabs and she kind of drops the knife. So she's struggling, trying to keep the infected off of her. She finally reaches the knife. She's like stabs it, stabs it, stabs it, whatever. It's, it's gone. It's, it's on the floor. And then you hear crying. So, so like the baby just like popped out from all like the struggling. So she must have been pushing and stuff like that. And then she looks on her thigh and there's a bite mark there. She's like, oh man. She cuts the umbilical cord and she picks up her baby and then she's like, says hi. Baby starts crying and then she's like, you tell him, you tell him, Ellie. And then she holds the baby some more and she's like, stops crying or something like that. So this is Ellie. This is how Ellie was born, which um, could explain possibly some things. So her mom was bit while she was pregnant at some point. I I I didn't go back and watch it. I don't know if she got bit during that struggle there or if she got bit before. But anyways, three people like with flashlights walk to the house, and then you can see one is Marlene. So they enter. Um, she and these two dudes are armed. They go upstairs. Marlene like calls out to Anna, and Anna's like singing, and and then she's holding the knife up to her neck while while she's holding Ellie, and she's like, you know, Marlene says something like that. She's like, oh, it's not your fault. Marlene's like, oh, we got delayed, you know, coming out of the, the QZ, and Anna's like, she's hungry. She's like, she needs to be fed, and I, she's like, I didn't want to nurse her. And she's like, I, I cut it, the umbilical cord, you know, before I was bit. But that's not, not true. But she's like, and she insists, she's like, before. So she says, you know, to take her with her and make sure she's brought up by someone safe, you know. And then she puts, like, the knife on top. She's like, she wants her to have that. And she's like, and her name is Ellie. Marlene's like, I can't take her. And, and Anna's like, how long have we known each other? And Marlene's like, our whole lives. And so she's getting the knife, and she stands outside the room. She's like, She's like thing, and then she's like, cover her ears. Goes inside without even like skipping a beat. Just goes in, raises a gun, shoots, and Ellie cries. And Marlene takes Ellie and like shushes her. So that that's a uh, that's what happened to Ellie's mom. Um, and as you may have heard, the Anna, the actress played Anna, is the voice of Ellie in in the game. So that's a kind of nice like full circle, whatever. Cuts to the present. 
you see like Ellie in the back of a truck. Joel's like talking to her or whatever, calling out to her. And, and she's just like in a, in, a, in a daze. He found a can of beefaroni. He's like, Chef Boyardee. And she's like, oh, cool, whatever. And then he found this game, Boggle. He asked her if she ever played it. And she, I don't think she's heard of it. And he's like, if you, you know, if you really want to beat me at something, he's like, this would be it. So she's clearly distracted. And he's like, you know, he says they're getting closed. And he's like, the hospital is that way. And he's like, you know, that might be the one we're looking for. So it's like, it's hard to tell like how much time has passed because there's no snow. It's like, are they at a lower elevation? Because Tommy said, how long did Tommy say? It was like eight to 10 days or something, if, if that, or it was a week. So I, I don't know. But he says that, you know, there was, he got the, the can out of an RV. He's like, there was a guitar in the RV as they're walking away. And she kind of looks at him. He's like, it was smashed up, but it got me thinking. He's like, you know, maybe I should find one. He's like, I haven't played in forever. In fact, you know, I was thinking maybe I could teach you. I said, he's like, I bet you'd be great at it. And he's like, do you want to play, learn to play guitar? And there's like no response. He's like, Ellie? And so she's, again, distracted. She's like, hmm. she's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Just keep walking. So he says that, you know, he was thinking, and um, she cuts him off. And she's like, we cut through that building, find a skyscraper, go up and take a look around. He's like, actually, he's like, I was thinking we blow through that rubble ahead. He's like, I found some dynamite in an RV. And she's like, really? And he's like, no. He's like, we, we cut through that, that building, find a skyscraper, go up and look around. He's like, but I had you going, didn't I? And she, she kind of nods. So then they go up in this torn up building. He sees like this ladder in the second level. He's like, oh, I could give you a boost and you can drop the ladder down. But she doesn't like hear him again. So then he goes through, he's like, are you okay? So at first I was, I was like, is this like her birthday? Is there something, you know, what, like what's going on? Uh, he's like, are you okay? You seem extra quiet today. She's like, oh, she's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, oh no, it, it's, it's fine. He's like, did you hear me? And she's like, yeah, boost, got it. He, he boosts her up the ladder and then she, She's like, whoa. And then she like, let's go to the ladder. Like almost falls on him. He curses at her. She's like, you got to see this. So he's not happy. You know, she keeps running. She goes up some other stairs. He goes after her. He's like calling her. Then there's like this park or something like that. I, I couldn't tell if it was like in the building, like an atrium or something like that. But there's like a giraffe like right there, like its head level with them, like eating some leaves from a tree. So he, he like breaks a branch, little branch off, whatever, and like hands them to Ellie to feed it. She starts giggling and everything, and Joel smiles. She's like, oh, it's so fudging cool. Then the draft wanders off, and, you know, it goes up. There, there's some, like, uh, some other drafts there, too. So they, they look over this, this field. There's a group of them, and he, he says that, you know, he doesn't know exactly where this hospital is. She's like, well, I'm sure we'll find it. He's like, sure, it's just, you know, maybe there's nothing bad out there, but so far there's always been something bad out there. She's like, we're still here, though. He's like, I know. He's like, I'm only saying there's risk. He's like, we don't have to do this. I just I just want you to know that. She's like, what do you mean? She's like, what else are we supposed to do? He's like, nothing. We just go back to Tommy's. We forget about the whole damn thing. After all we've been through, everything I've done, she's like, it can't be for nothing. And she, she's like, I know you mean well. I know you want to protect me. He's like, you have. And when we're done, we'll go over wherever you want. Tommy's, Sheep Ranch, the moon. And Joel kind of chuckles. She's like, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. He's just, she's like, but there's no halfway with this. We, we finished what we started. And he just nods. So they continue. There's like some military jeeps and stuff in the city. She's like, is this a Fedra thing? He's like, no, army. He's like, they put up these places around, you know, the first few days after the outbreak, you know, emergency medical camps. Obviously, they didn't last. He's like, they had me in one just like this. And she's like, with Sarah? He's like, no, she was gone already. And she's like, oh. She's like, what was wrong with you? He like points to his head where he got shot. And she's like, ah, the guy who shot and missed. She's like, I figured that would have happened later. And he's like, no. He's like, second day. And she's like, I got to hand it to these army people. They're way better at stitching you up than I was. He, he like stops walking. He's like, it was me. 
he's like, I was a guy who shot and missed. And then she like comes up, she like sits on a railing. He's like, there's no story. He's like, Sarah died. I couldn't see the point anymore. Simple as that. And I wasn't scared either. I was ready. So I couldn't have been more ready. And when I, when I went to pull the trigger, I flinched. I still don't know why. And, you know, anyway, it's like the reason I'm telling you all this, she's like, I, I know why you're telling me. He's like, yeah. He's like, I reckon you do. So he's like, so time heals all wounds, I guess. He's like, it wasn't time that did it. And he's just like, looks at her. So he's basically saying like, she like healed his wounds. And she's like, well, I'm glad that that didn't work out. He's like, me too. She says that, you know, well, we should probably get going. Then he's like, you know what I'm in the mood for? He's like, poopy puns. And she's like, oh, ho, ho. pulls out the book. She's like, people are making apocalypse jokes like there's no tomorrow. And she's like, too soon? He's like, no, it's topical. And she's like, oh, I love this one. She's like, moon rocks taste better than earth rocks. Why? Because they're meteor. And he's like, oh, that's terrible. She's like, fudge you. She's like, that was actually good. He's like, that's a zero out of 10. And she's like, all right, all right. She's like, what did the green grape say to the purple grape? Breathe, you idiot. And he's like, that's a three out of 10. She's like, seven minimum. He's like, I'll give it a five. And then something lands at her feet, like behind them. They, they look. It's, it's like a bomb, obviously, like a smoke thing. Joel grabs Ellie, like covers her. The can explodes. High pitch ringing. Three armed dudes walk up. Like one grabs Ellie. And they're like calling each other, Joel, Ellie, whatever. Joel gets a rifle butt to the back of the head. And it, like everything's white. <laughs> Joel starts to wake up. He's lying in a bed. He sees like Firefly symbol on something next to next to him. Marlene's like, welcome to the Fireflies. And she's like, easy. You got hit pretty hard. It's like, Patrol didn't know who you were. He's like, where's Ellie? And she, Marlene's like, she wasn't hurt. It's like, not even a scratch. You know, she's mostly worried about you. He's like, where is she? Marlene says, we lost half our crew crossing the country. I had five men whose only job was to protect me. And I still almost got killed. She's like, how'd you do it? He just like, shakes his head. He's like, it was all her. You know, she fought like hell to get here. Marlene's like, she would have been dead on day one. She's like, you are the one person who I never wanted to be in debt to. She's like, but I owe you. We all owe you. He's like, just, just take me to her. And she's like, I can't. She's being prepped for surgery. He's like, what surgery? Our doctor, he thinks the cordyceps in Ellie has grown since her birth. And he's like, why? Why is she in surgery? Marlene's like, it produces a kind of chemical messenger. It makes normal cordyceps thinks it's she's cordyceps. That, it's why she's immune. So he's going to remove it from her, multiply the cells in the lab, produce those chemical messengers, and then we can give it to everyone. So he thinks it could be a cure. She's like, a cure, Joel, a cure. And he's like, cordyceps grows inside the brain. And Marlene's like, it does. And he's like, find someone else. Marlene's like, there is no one else. He's like, we didn't tell her. We didn't cause her any fear. There won't be any pain. He's like, no, no. He's like, you take me to her. He's like, you take me to her right now. And then this, you know, he gets up, dude, hits him in the gut and he goes down, which is like, like, what the heck? This guy's like a hero. He got her there. And plus the fact, Joel just got stabbed. It's like, there must have been a couple, at least a couple days before. It's like, is it, is it going to open the wound? The second army guy comes up and Marlene kind of like holds her hand up. You know, he's on his hands and he's like, please. He's like, you don't understand. And she's like, I do. It's like, I was there when she was born, Joel. It's like, I promised her mother that I would save her child. I promised. So I do understand. I'm the only one who understands. She's like, I'm sorry. It's like, I have no other choice. And he just like looks up at her. He's like, I do. She looks at him. She thinks, and she's like, walk him to the highway, leave him there with his pack and give him this, like Ellie's knife. And she's like, if he tries anything, shoot him. So the dudes take him away. You know, Joel's let out. And this one dude, he, he like kind of pushes him lightly. I don't know if he's walking too slow or whatever. He's just this, you know, macho tough guy. He thinks that he can just shove him whatever he wants. So 
then Joel stops. And stupid guy number two is like, I didn't hear anyone say stop. So Joel kind of, you know, it's almost like he, he smirks a little tiny bit. And he's like, which way? And a guy kind of like pushes him. And he's like, down the stairs. So they go down. Then he stops on the stairs. And they're like, what the fudge are you doing? He's like, keep walking. So they go to shove him. You know, keep walking. Joel elbows stupid guy number two, shoots stupid guy number one, grabs number two's rifle, shoots him in the leg, and points the rifle at him. He's like, where is she? The guy's like, oh, he's like, fudge you. He's like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> Just shoots him. Now you can hear on the radio, shots fired, shot fired. Joel takes Ellie's knife from dead guy number one, takes a round of ammo, takes his backpack, goes up, sees a guy walking with a rifle behind a glass, shoots him. And then he goes around, shoots him a second time just to finish him off. He gets shot at, but he ducks, reloads, shoots the guy. There's another shooter, takes him out. Another guy puts his hand up, like puts a rifle down. Joel shoots him. <laughs> he's like giving up, but he's like, Joel, I don't care. I'm shooting you. There's in this other room, Joel shoots, you know, takes this guy out, um, opens his knife, finishes his guy on the floor. He just like stabs him, whatever, takes his rifle, shoots another one on the stairs. There's in the hall, there's like a trail of bodies, takes the guy's pistol, sees a sign for pediatric surgery. And like the hall is empty. So he walks, goes to the surgery room, goes in. You hear the nurse is like, she's ready. And then, you know, takes off the anesthesia mask. And Joe's like, unhook her. It like startles him. The surgeon's like, how'd you get in here? He's like, I said, unhook her. Surgeon like grabs a scalpel. <laughs> He's like, what's that going to do? He's like, I won't let you take her. Joel just shoots him in the head. <laughs> like, no, like, no negotiating anything. Nurses scream. He's like, unhook her. Move. And he's like, so he pulls, like, the IV out of her arm. He's like, like, blood. He's like, cover her arm. And then, you know, then he's like, turn around. He lifts up Ellie. He's, like, carrying her. Goes to the elevator. But I'm like, where's Marlene in all this? He's, like, looking at Ellie. Doors open. He's in a garage. He sees a car with like a battery charging. So he goes out as he's walked towards it. Marlene's like hiding and she comes out with a gun. She's like, you can't keep her safe forever. She's like, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many people you kill, she's going to grow up, Joel. And then you'll die. She'll leave. Then what? How long until she's torn apart by infected or killed by raiders? Because she lives in a broken world that you could have saved. He's like, maybe, but it isn't for you to decide. And she's like, or you. So what, what would she decide, huh? Because I think she'd want to do what's right. And you know it. It's not too late. Even now, even after what you've done, we can still find a way. And she kind of like lowers her gun and he like looks down at Ellie and he's just like standing there. And then it cuts to like Joel's driving and he like kind of closes his eyes. And then you hear Ellie groaning in the back seat. And she's like, what? He's like, it's all right. You're with me. He's like, take it slow. The drugs are still wearing off. She's like, I was with the fireflies. And then what drugs? He's like, they were running some tests on you and some others. And we see like a flashback, like Marlene lowering her gun. He's like, turns out there's a whole lot more like you, people who are immune, dozens of them. And the doctors, they couldn't make any of it work. And we see he actually had his gun like under Ellie's legs. He shoots Marlene. So he continues in the car. He's like, they actually, they've stopped looking for a cure. And she's like, where are my clothes? Joel's like, Raiders attacked the hospital. He's like, I barely got you out of there. He's like, we'll find you some new ones on the way. And she's like, were people hurt? He's like, yes. And she's like, is Marlene okay? And he's just like, I'm taking us home. And then she like rolls over, like faces away. He's like, I'm sorry. So it's like, does she believe him or does she know that like something's up? So then um, we see, you know, so the, the gunshot, he was holding gun in his hand. He puts Ellie in the back seat. Marlene like groans, she like coughs and he goes back to her. She's like, please, she's like, just let me go. He's like, you'd come after her. Marlene's gone. Then they're driving, Wyoming, the car dies. So Ellie's like looking at her arm or whatever. 
And he's like, well, she got us close enough. We got to walk the rest of the way. It's like probably like a five-hour hike. He's like, but we can manage that, remember? And she's like, yeah. So they're walking. He says that, you know, he and Sarah used to hike like this all the time. He's like, I wouldn't say it was her favorite thing. You know, she wasn't a fan of mosquitoes and such. You know, she she was a, a big climber or scamper. It's like that girl. She'd see a big rock and, phew, you know, she would have liked you. Not not to say the two of you are the same. You know, definitely different kids. And she's like, how so? He's like, well, she was a lot more, I want to say girly. He's like, I'm not saying you're not girly. She's like, I'm not. He's like, yeah, you're not. She's like, so that. And she, you know, she was taller. You know, she had a killer smile. Again, not saying that you don't, but you know why I think she, she'd like you? And she's like, why? Because you're funny. I, I think you would have made her laugh. He's like, anyways, I, I bet you would have liked her back. And Ellie's like, yeah, I, I bet I would have. So then they get to a place they can kind of see the city. He's like, not much further now. Then she's like, wait. And she's like, fudge. She's like, back in Kansas City, you asked about the first time I killed someone. She's like, when, when I got bit in the mall, I, I wasn't on my own. My best friend was there, and she got bit too. We didn't know what to do, and she says, we can just wait it out, you know, be all poetic and just lose our minds together. And then she did, and I had to her, – her name was Riley, and she was the first to die. And then, then it was Tess, and then Sam – he's like, that's not on you. She's like, I know, but he's like, look – Sometimes things don't work out the way we hope. You, you can feel like you've come to an end, but you don't know what to do next. But if you just keep going, you find something new to fight for. And maybe that's not what. She's like, swear to me. Swear to me that everything you said about the fireflies is true. And he looks at her and he's just like, I swear. She looks at him for a bit and she nods and she's like, okay. And that's where it ends. Oh, so you know, she's wondering, you know, and and at first when when she asked him she said swear i was like he's he's gotta he's gotta tell her but he he knew that if he told her that she's gonna want to do the right thing she probably you know and like marlene said she probably would sacrifice herself meant for others because she's a good person and but he's like like no he's like i'm going to like she wants me to swear i'm gonna absolutely lie to her for her own safety so that was pretty crazy and that, that's the end of the season. So I don't know, since I, I'm trying to avoid anything about the game, I don't know if that covers completely the first game or if there's anything more. And I don't know if season two is going to be the second game, but it's like I don't want to know. So so it was good. I, I mean, the ending, that part right there, I mean, it's a good ending. It's a satisfying ending. You know, I, they probably did it before they knew for a fact that there was going to be a season two. So, you know, there's closure. It's the story's over. You could stop it right there. But it was just like, I was like, okay, that's fine. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I shouldn't be complaining, especially the fact that the way he took everyone out that hospital, when they were like, when he's, they wouldn't take him to Ellie. I was like, I was like, dude, Marlene, I was like, he's going to burn this place to the ground. If, if you don't listen to him, they were just so insulting to him. I mean, she's like, how would you do it? How'd you get here? You know, Cause he's a friggin' tank. He's a machine. So now the question is, how long do we have to wait for season two? But man, that was such a, such a good show. Um, I mean, I clearly, definitely, no, pro, no, I could say for a fact, it's my favorite show of 2023 so far, only because Severance hasn't started, and who, who knows when that's going to happen. But that was The Last of Us. Okay, then with Superman and Lois, season three, episode one, Closer. So Lois is like narrating. She says it's been like 27 days since the world almost ended. And, you know, we see them. They're like walking in a new fortress of solitude. 
and you know she she continues narrating you know, people on two planets they knew fear they knew what they had to lose but then something amazing happened whatever but then you know, we, then it, it cuts to Clark takes a crystal that started what the fortress he like puts in this little slot his holo mom pops up and he introduces everyone to her then uh, we see Mayor Lana Lana Lang she's talking to people about plans for a new town hall Kyle is like planning to paint his apartment with his two kids. John Henry and Natasha are doing some painting. Sam and uh, the DOD, they're in the excavate the mines and they're going to shut them down. Clark's working at the Gazette too. Oh, Lois said, that's what she said. Everyone's getting closer, like closer together. So that's the name of the episode. Then Lois and Clark just had a little, some little, little nookie action. But then you hear some worrying. He's, she says, like, oh, she has an appointment in Metropolis. And Clark's like, John Henry said to leave it alone. She's like, yeah, but this is Bruno Mannheim. And he's like, you know, all the years we spent investigating him, he's like, we couldn't make anything stick. And, and she's like, yeah, but that was different. Whatever. So he's like, well, just be careful. Clark and Jordan are flying over water. I think they're going to the, the fortress, whatever. Jordan's being all cocky. He's like, oh, you know, better hurry up, old man, and stuff like that. But then somehow he stumbles. He hits the water, like, and then Clark just zips past him. So he gives him a hard time. But then he wants him to do some sparring against, like, a holo fighter. Um, and then he's like, and then fly home. But the, the thing can, like, shoot at him, too. Lois is um, with Jonathan helping, you know, practicing driving. They're in like the big truck that they got from the DOD or whatever, a pickup truck. And uh, Lois is like really freaking out. It's like, slow down, watch out. And Sam mentions now that John Henry is working for him, he's like, oh, you know, you should come over to my place, or whatever, you know, the, 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 the base or something like that. But John Henry wants to work at home. And Sam says that, it's like, you know, I can get Natasha clearance and she can come too. But John Henry wants her to be around high school kids. Then um, Sam says that on her earth, you know, he was her grandfather. He's like, did they do anything fun? And she's like, yeah, we watch horror movies. And John Henry is like, every Friday night. Then Sam's like, no kidding? Like the one they're playing in town? And she's like, Slaughter Cabin 3? And he's like, you know, maybe we should go. And he's like, if it's okay with you. So John Henry, he's like, yeah. Kyle sees Lana and says that, you know, his lawyer said that she hasn't signed the divorce papers yet. And he's like, is there a problem? And she's like, no, no. She's like, the terms are fine and everything. But, you know, every time I, I go to sign, something crazy comes up, whatever. And even, like, right then she gets pulled away. Like, something else is happening. Clark turns in a story to Christy. I, I don't know if he did copy editing. It was the lowest story or something like that. But she's like, I'd, I'd rather, she's like, I don't want you turning in copy. I, you know, I'd rather you cover whatever's going on at the high school. Then he hears, like, a big metal crane groaning or something like that. And it, like, snaps. So he's like, okay, I got to go. He's like, I'll, I'll get on as soon as I can. So he zips off because she knows that he's Superman. So it's rainy and thundery. He looks and he sees someone and Jordan's there. And Jordan like uses his heat vision and like zaps the, the crane. But at first it's like, is he trying to fix it or destroy it? Because it breaks, this big chunk falls, hits a bunch, like the side of the, side of the building, like breaks a bunch of like windows and stuff like that. So Superman zips over, he catches it. And there's this other huge piece like flying right at him. It was kind of a cool shot. Cause as he picks up the one, he grabs it by a cable and he just like puts his hand up, catches the other one like above him. And then, you know, it goes back up and he like locks eyes with Jordan. It's like, you know, like, what did you just do? At the fortress, he tells Jordan, he's like, I told you to fly straight home. And Jordan's like, I, I got turned around. And he's like, we were in Malaysia. He's like, yeah, yeah. But when I realized, you know, that, he's like, I thought I could help. And Clark's like, you disobeyed me and you put lives at risk. He's like, on top of that, you almost revealed yourself to the whole world. 
And he's like, I had it under control. And Clark's just like, home now. And unless I tell you it's okay, never do that again. So Jordan zips off. Lana is at the school. She's shown like the walls. There's like black mold in there. And it's not from what busted up the hallway. It's, it's water damage and it's been there for years. Clark comes up because, you know, it's for the story, whatever. He, and he looks with, you know, Lana, the two of them are alone. He looks with x-ray vision. He's like, yeah, he's like, you do have a problem here. And because he's like, it's everywhere. And Lana's like, but we don't have the budget to fix this all. And he's like, you'll find a way. He's like, you always do. And then she's like, how are things with Lois? And he's got a big grin. He's like, never better. And she's like, Clark can. He's like, what? She's like, it's written all over your face. Lois is at the doctor's. And then Doc comes in, looks at <laughs> Lois is standing here with a notepad. And she's like, what are you doing here? And she's, she's like, I said I didn't want to talk. And now you're pretending to be, and she looks at a, a clipboard, Ginger Metcalf. So Lois, she's, so this is um, John Henry's sister in this world. So Lois is like, you know, I, I just want to know if your brother might have had any connection to Bruno Mannheim. And, you know, and that kind of like stops her because, you know, she's about to like leave the exam room. She's like, John Henry was mixed up with a lot of bad people. It's like everyone in her family served in the military. She's like, John Henry took that service and abused it. And Lois is like, how so? She's like, by selling tech and weapons to the wrong people, like Lex Luthor and, and Bruno Mannheim. She's like, the brother I knew would never have betrayed his country and done this. Something changed him when he left the service. And she's like, whatever that was, I don't care. So Lois apologizes or anything like that. Then the doc's like, she was like, well, you know, I looked at your stuff. There's like, you know, swollen breasts and this or whatever like that. And Lois is like, yeah, whatever, you know. But the doctor's like, I want to run a urine, urine test because she thinks she might be pregnant. Jordan talks to Sarah at the diner about Malaysia because he got her this little like elephant brass elephant gift thing from there. And she's like, you know, you're so nice to me after everything. And because she's like, you know, I care about you as a friend. He's like, yeah, but, you know, you're the only one that knows my secret. And, and she's like, yeah, but, you know, you don't have to risk your identity to buy me a present. Then she gets a text. She's like, oh, she's like, I was supposed to pick up Sophie. So she's like, I'll see you at your birthday party tomorrow. And he's like, yeah. And then she leaves, and she doesn't take the, the brass elephant thing. So it's like, you're such a knucklehead. So you think, like, oh, you got superpowers. You're going to buy her something from Malaysia. That's going to make her like you. Natasha and Sam are in line at the movie theater. And then she finds out, you know, because they're talking about characters. She's like, you've never seen the Slaughter Cabin movie, have you? And he's like, uh, no, I haven't. And then he mentions the, the DOD Academy. He's like, it could really benefit you. And she's it's like, so you invited me here out here to recruit me and and she's like bummed so lois is kind of zoning out clark comes and ranting about jordan and she's like we'll talk about that later and then he's like is everything okay she's like i think so i don't know i might be pregnant and he's like pregnant how and she's like clark he's like i that's not, i didn't i just didn't think it was possible and he's like you know how are you with this and she's like i don't know she's like it's a big change she's like are we ready for something like this Natasha comes home and John Henry asks, how, how was it? And she's like, it sucked. So she tells him about Sam's offer and all that. Jordan flies home. Jonathan's doing homework on a porch. They talk, whatever. So he's like, what are you doing, you know, studying, whatever. So he's studying for his driver's test. So Jordan apparently had returned a big truck, but for Jonathan, it's his ticket to freedom. John Henry is at a, is at a store because he, he got a message that the gifts that he got for the boys wasn't going to make it there in time, so he canceled it. So he goes, he's trying to pick up something for the boys, but there's not a whole lot there. He goes to another aisle, sees Clark picking up pregnancy tests. 
and kind of laughs. And he's like, how's Lois? And, you know, they talk about a baby, you know, with two teenagers, teenagers in the house. And then um, John Henry's like, you know, Clark, he's like, if there's any hesitation, he's like, you need to tell Lois. Meanwhile, Lois and Lana are at the bar. Lois, um, she's just drinking water. Then so Lana figures it out. He's like, wait, you're just getting water? So then Lana goes on about how it's easier the second time. And she's like, with the little baby toes, you just want to eat up and whatever. But Lois is like, would you have another? And Lana's like, yeah. And, and she's like, what about you? She's like, I don't know. She's like, I think so. And then Lana's like, then there's your answer. Jordan gets ready to take the driver's test. He's in Lois's car because the, the truck is just too big, whatever. And then she's like, you know, nothing will come up that we didn't practice. So, you know, she's outside the car. He's in you know, behind a the wheel. Then this big dude gets in next to him. It's Coach Gaines. He's like, Coach Gaines? And he does not look happy. He's like, you work at the DMV? And Coach is like, imagine that. Now, why would I need another job? So Jonathan's like, uh, should I start driving? He's like, are you going to crash this car like you did my football program? He's like, uh, no, sir. They return home. Clark's there. Jonathan, you know, he's like, Coach Gaines deducted points right away for my attitude. So it was a detriment to safety or whatever. Clark's like, ah, you know, that's okay. You'll, you'll, you'll get it next time, whatever. Jonathan's like, but I still passed. Whoa, yeah. They're all excited. Lois tells Clark, you know, he, you know, after he goes in the house or something like that, she's like, he was so happy. She's like, he hasn't hugged me like that in years. And she's like, I think I want more. And Clark's like, driver's tests? And she's like, kids. So then it's time for the party. There's cake. Sarah arrives and Jordan, like, disappears because, you know, he's feeling awkward around her. Sam's, like, on a porch. He opens a beer. He sees John Henry come up the porch. He goes to greet him or whatever. And John Henry's like, he just, like, kind of lays into him. He's like, you have no business talking to her about schools. And he's like, whoa. He's like, hand to heart. I was going to run it by you. I just wanted to gauge Nat's interest. And he's like, Nat's interest was you. She was excited to spend time with you. He's like, same here. And he's like, what were you doing? She's a 15-year-old girl whose whole world was destroyed. She needs friends and family, not a recruitment officer looking for his next big price. And Sam's like, damn it. He's like, you're right. He's like, I was out of line. And he's like, I know you're not her granddad. You don't have to be. But you don't get her, her hopes up that you want to be part of our lives. You know, she lost enough people already. Chrissy Beppo arrives at the party. She's so incredibly awkward, you know, because Jonathan and his friends are there. She's like talking and and she's like, she gives him a gift. She's like, it's an alarm clock. You know, it'll help you wake up in the morning. And she's like, of course you know what alarm clock is. And everyone's like kind of looking at her. They're like, oh, we're going to go look inside or whatever. Kyle talks to Clark about his barbecue ribs because apparently there's not enough rub or whatever. And then he's like, I'm going to go check your pantry for spices, whatever. So then, but as he's talking, he sees John Henry talking to Lana. So it's like, there's a little jealousy there maybe. Then he goes in the kitchen. Chrissy's just like sitting at the table. She's hanging out, hiding out in there. And she says, she's like, the biggest social event on my calendar is a party for teenage boys. She's like, this is what rock bottom looks like. Kyle's like, I'll see your rock bottom and raise you my daughter's quinceanera. And she's like, oh, yeah, sorry. That was pretty tragic. So at the party, everyone seems happy. Lois, you know, now they're in the barn. Then Lois is like, okay, now we're time to embarrass the boys, whatever. They do a slideshow to boys' baby. Everyone's laughing. Everyone's happy. Everyone's smiling. But then, unfortunately, Clark hears something, some, like, sirens and tires screeching. So he, like, looks at Lois. He sneaks off. In Metropolis, there's chaos in the streets. Like, people are are, are running. There's there's fire. And then there's someone just, like, standing in the middle. Superman sees him. He's like, Henry Miller? He's like, you're supposed to be in jail. So I'm like, wait, who the heck is Henry Miller? Google search. 
Adam Ant from from the the radio serial whatever in the comics. <laughs> he he rips the door off a, a taxi cab and he flies at Superman, <laughs> and then there's like kind of struggling against the door or whatever like that, and. Superman's like, you have I So I don't know when we saw this Henry Miller guy. I don't remember that. And I, I'm not going to look it up. He's like, you have powers? And he's like, just like you. He like smacks Superman. He punches him into his truck, goes up in flames. This is a really cool shot. Superman just like calmly walks out of the flames, whatever. Then he, Henry Miller's like, I could do this all day. And Superman's like, not around them. So whoosh, flies at him, like takes him away. They're like flying through the air. They kind of smash over like against rooftops of buildings. They hit this like bridge in this construction area, like a express highway thing, whatever. Then they fall into this building, like this under construction. And by the time they get there, uh, like Adam, Henry, whatever his name is, his, his mask, his helmet's kind of like smashed. He just like takes it off, his helmet thing. And then uh, Superman's like, Henry, he's like, who did this to you? Who gave you powers? He's like, they're coming for me. And Superman's like, who? He's like, I can't let them stop me. I have to finish this first. And then he attacks Superman. So Sarah finds Jordan. She gives him a little cupcake. She's like, happy birthday. And she's like, are you ignoring me? He's like, uh, yeah. He's like, I, I didn't know what to say. And she's like, uh, how about what's up, Sarah? How was your day? So she's like, I don't want it to be awkward. And he's like, well, it is because, you know, I, I want to be with you and you don't want to be with me. And she's like, I still really care about you. And I just need some time for myself. And then he hears some worrying and, she, you know, she can tell that he hears something. And and she's like, is it bad? He's like, yeah. And she's like, are you going to fly off? And he's like, no. So then she's like, well, happy birthday. She gives him a cupcake. She's like, thanks. Superman and the, um, that dude, they land hard and... He's like, Henry, just just tell me who did this to you. He's like, I can help. He's like, no one can help me. Because he, Superman's like laying on his back. He's you know, standing over, Henry's standing over him. He's about to slam his fist down on Superman. And then he gets shot a bunch of times. So he falls back. Superman gets up, does a full spectrum like vision search. There's like no one around. He looks at Henry. He, he's dead. He scans him. There aren't any bullets. He looks back and there's someone standing there. It's onomatopoeia, if you know from the comics. Superman hears more screaming and sirens, and then he like he's like trying to pinpoint. It. He flies up. He's like looking. It's like all over the city. He can't really triangulate it. Then it's like silent. Then he flies back down. So it must have been onomatopoeia doing that, right? So he goes back down. Henry's body's gone. Oh, and that dude, there, there, no one's there. Then there's a, a billboard that says like "Welcome to South Metropolis." Is sprayed painted over with suicide slums so I, I don't know if that they just did that now or if that was there before and superman just didn't notice it nighttime the party's still going on and then the old former mayor mayor dean he he comes there he's go walks up to lana he's like you need to put the funds back where you found him he's like you may think moving the money is a good idea but i had it earmarked for a reason and she's like then you'll have to convince me it's more important than fixing a school where your son goes to other people are kind of looking at the confrontation, including like John Henry, whatever. George is like, the, the kids are, are healthy enough. You know, they have healthy enough lungs. A so little fungus isn't going to do them any harm. And she's kind of like shocked. She's like, we're done here. And he's like, this is serious. He's like, you can't be messing around with things that you don't understand. She's like, you are so unbelievably patronizing. She's like, I am the mayor, not you. He's like, you are in weight over your head. John Henry's like, I think it's time for you to go. George just kind of looks at him and the other. He's like, this isn't finished, Lana. 
Sam comes up to Natasha with some cake. He says that he wants to apologize for last night. And she's like, don't. She's like, you're not my granddad. And he's like, you're right. I'm not. That doesn't mean I don't want to get to know you. And she just kind of looks at him. And he's like, not because of some school. He's like, which was a really asinine thing to do. He's like, look, what you need to know about me, the, the me of this earth, is I'm terrible with people. He's like, I always say the wrong thing at the wrong time, but I did generally want to spend time with you. And if you can forgive me, I'd really like another chance for us to get to know each other. And she's like, okay. He's like, yeah. Inside the house, some of the party people must have been left. The, the boys got matching Hawaiian shirts from Sam. Lois like, just wear them once and then you can t- return them. Clark asks if they had a good birthday and they're like, ah, yeah, I guess it was cool, whatever. Like no enthusiasm. Lois and Clark are like, oh, yeah. You know, they, they mocked them. So then uh, Lois talks about it. She's like, you know, it was about this time 16 years ago when I started going to birth. And they're like, okay, they get up to leave. She's like, it was, it was so painful. And, and Clark's like, I think I want another one too. Morning, Chrissy wakes up, sits up. She's next to, next to Kyle. Kyle's like laying in bed. She tries sneaking out, and he's like, morning. And she's feeling awkward. She's like getting dressed, and she's like, we can't ever do that again. It's just super messy. And she's like, you know, you're, you're really nice. You know, you're great. You're a wonderful man. But, you know, it's going to have to be a one and done. This never happened, right? And he's like, oh, what? And then there's a knock on the door. He goes, it's Lana. It's like, oh, crap. And she's like, I didn't see you at the party. And he's like, I just, I left early. And she's like, I have the divorce papers. She's like, I didn't want, want your lawyer bothering you anymore. And it's like, you know, it seems like sad. And she's like, I'll, you know, cause they like look at each other and you know, she's almost like she doesn't want to give it to him, but she does. She's like, I'll talk to you later. And then she leaves. He closes the door and he just like kind of stands there, you know, behind a closed door. And Chrissy kind of looks over at him like with pity at the Gazette. Lois tells Clark, she's like, you're not going to believe this. Henry Miller had a brain tumor. That's why they let him out of prison. It was a compassionate release because he only had a few weeks left to live. Clark's like, how long ago was that? She's like, three months ago. Clark's like, well, then what's he been doing all this time? Then Chrissy walks in. You know, she changed. They they both kind of look at her like, Lois like, everything okay? And she's like, yeah, sure. She's like, why, why wouldn't it be? Then, uh, you know, Lois gets a call from Dr. Irons, says that they can rule out pregnancy but she is concerned with some of the other symptoms she's having. So she wants her to come in and so she can run some more tests in the city in the subway. There's like some lab, uh, just Henry Miller, his body's laying on a table and this dude's like, try again. And then the, this side doctor guy, looking guy, he's like, it's too late. He's like, then increase the dosage on is there too. And then we see Bruno Mannheim's there. So they inject him with like some stuff. Then it appears to be working, even though Doc said that he was dead for too long. And Bruno's like, just like I told you, we're getting closer. And that's where the episode ends. So it was a good episode. Uh, you know, it was crazy to think about Anamanapea there, but you know, because of Kevin Smith's involvement, whatever. I don't know fully his involvement. I don't think he's like a showrunner, but um, so that, that was really cool to, to see him. He's an interesting villain, and it would be. Uh, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with him, like how they're going to use him. But that was good. Um, you know, we're seeing the characters evolve and everything. But and I, I keep saying it. I've said it. You know, for the past two seasons, there's just something about the show. It's like it. It like has a different feeling, a different vibe. I'm going to talk about the Flash next, but it's just the way the characters be- behave. It's it's. I don't want to say goofier, but there's just it's it just seems different. I don't know what it is, but. So yeah, this this is just a really good show. All right, with <laughs> the Flash, uh, the good, the bad, and the lucky. 
Oh man, this episode. Um, so it starts off with Becky Sharp, which I, she's. I think she was in season four. She's been on before. So um, she's the Hazard, the gambler's daughter in the comics, or whatever. I don't remember if, if they mentioned gambler. Anyways, so she's narrating. You know, she's the luckiest woman alive. She's talking about you know her and Lady Luck are BFFs. She meets this guy. He proposes. Everything's perfect. But then. It all changed overnight. Her her luck ran out. And this, this part really bothered me. She's so she's about to get married. Pulls her wedding dress like out of the trunk of her car. And it's it's not even wrapped or anything like that. She holds it up. This car drives by, splashes mud all over her in a dress. It's like, no, you would have it at the very least in a garment bag or something like that. She comes home, her key gets stuck in the door, she stumbles in, her fiance's on the floor pool of blood is like is he dead or something like that and then the police run up put your hands up your hands in the air you know like right at that moment so she's talking to someone and she's like so what i decided yeah i realized that's like i need a lawyer she's talking to, to captain kramer so then cecile's in her office she's talking to joe on the phone they're making plans you know she's going to take the train the tomorrow because it's Jenna's birthday, and she always makes a pancake birthday breakfast every year, and everything like that. So you know she's got to catch the you know the, the with the bus or the train and everything. And then Kramer calls her about this this case. So at uh, Star Labs, Barry and Iris are going to Coast City. They're, I, I don't even know why they're going. It's like how many vacations have they t- they taken? They're, they're going somewhere for some reason. I don't I don't know what it was. I, I don't care. Um, so they they leave. Allegra gets a text in, so there's no hot water in her apartment or stupid landlord or whatever says it can't be fixed until next week. She's like, oh, I hate that place. And Chester's like, oh, well, I could come over and look at it. And she's like, is this like a boyfriend thing? And he's like, oh, yeah, maybe. Mark wants to talk about Keon's budding powers because, you know, she was the first one to know that Iris was pregnant. Oh, she even mentioned that um, spring is coming early this year, so they're going to have nice weather, you know, whatever. Um so she, she knew that Iris was pregnant. Iris didn't even know. She just predicted early spring. She was born under unique circumstances or whatever. So there's just a lot they don't know about her. And then they asked Chester, do you, like, you want to uh, give us a hand in trying this? He's like, oh, yeah. You know, he's like super excited because they could try out all this stuff. Kramer meets with Cecile and uh, tells her that Sharp put her boyfriend in a coma. So he's, he's not dead. Kramer doesn't think she did it. The crime scene was too perfect. Someone called in an anonymous tip, which is weird. Her, so her gut instinct says that someone's setting her up. Cecile talks to Rebecca, and she says that, you know, yeah, she's going to take her case. So she's like, okay, let's start on Monday. And, and she kind of flips out. She's like, we can't start on Monday. She's like, I can't go to jail. I'll get eaten alive and everything. And she's like, well, you know, everything will be fine, whatever. And then Kramer comes in. She's like, I'm not so sure. He's like, we just found a murder weapon. And there's like a broken high heel or shoe or something like that. It's like, okay, so that automatically means that she did it because, but anyways, it's not even a murder weapon because he's not dead. So it wasn't a murder weapon. Did she not say that? I don't know why I said that. I thought that. Cecile's checking out the room with Allegra. And for some reason, Becky is allowed to, to be there with them. It's like she's released. Wouldn't she be like a flight risk or something like that? Allegra uses her like UV vision powers. And then she finds a couple of things with DNA. So there's like a retainer and, and a poker chip. And Becky's like, oh, I've been looking for that retainer. And Allegra's like, ew. You know, she has little gloves, plastic gloves on, whatever. And then she's like, you know, I, I hate to say it, but is there someone who's been, you know, been there who gambles? And then she's like, yeah, my future brother-in-law. So he comes into Cecile's office, you know, the Allegra and Becky are there. And he's like, what kind of scum would do this to my brother? Which seemed like a little too over the top. 
And then he says, you know, last time he saw his brothers last week, Allegra asked about the poker chip, and he kind of freezes. Then Cecile's like, you just got real anxious all of a sudden. And he, like, apologized to Becky. And he's like, you know, as much as he loved you, he loved the roulette wheel and dice and slots and whatever. So Becky's like, no, there's no way he was a gambler. He's like, I would have known. And so they figured that whoever Dom owed money to, Dom was her, her fiancé, or is her fiancé, whoever uh, he owes money to must have come to collect so then they're like, you know, where's the chip from? And he's like, oh, it's from O'Shaughnessy's bar. That's I think that's just like the only bar in town. So they, they tend to, they run a high stakes poker game, I think twice a month or something like that. So they go there. Cecile says the, the bartender has no idea who Dom owes money to. And she's like, you know, something about this just doesn't feel right. And she realizes that at that point, you know, she looks at her phone. She missed her call back to Joe and Jenna. So, you know, she kind of steps away to get the phone. She tells, you know, because she tells Allegra she has less than two hours to solve this. So, you know, she's on the phone. Allegra goes up to her for some reason. And these two thugs, with and like one of them has a gun, come in. They like grab Becky. And Cecile's like, hey, bozos, my client's not going anywhere with you. And she puts her hands up, whatever. And she's like, now back off before I make you back off. The bottles behind the bars like start shaking and stuff like that. But then it kind of fizzles out with just like one bottle like fall, falling off the bar and rolling just a little bit. And Becky's like, oh, my bad luck must be rubbing off on you now. And then the dude raises the gun back at them. Becky like struggles free. She gets on her knees and she's like, if, if Tom owes you any money, she's like, I'll find a way to pay you back myself. And the dude's like, he tells her, get up. He's like, you're embarrassing yourself. She grabs the bottle on the floor, hits one guy in the head. Allegra zaps them and they go flying like behind the bar. So then they wonder, like, how come Allegra's powers didn't get all wonky like Cecile's? And Allegra's like, who are those guys? She's like, I have no idea. She's like, I've never seen them before. And then the bartender walks out. He's like, what's going on out here? So the guys get up at that moment. They grab him. You know, they, they still have their gun. And then they, they take him towards the door at gunpoint. They shove on the floor and they take off. <laughs> so at Star Labs, Chester's being very theatrical because he has this dummy set up and he's, there's like some, you know, scanner stuff on there. It's supposedly can detect all sorts of powers because it, it's all just science, right? And of course, this thing can detect everything. He lists like a bunch of the powers and everything like that. Keon's, she's like, I don't know if I have any powers. And Mark's like, no, I think you do. She's like, that's the only reason I'm still alive. He's like, you know, my body was trash and I was dying. And then you kiss me. <laughs> and, and Chester, and I don't, I, yeah, I think it's just Chester. He's like, oh, but Mark says, he's like, well, let's start with ice powers. So he's like, okay. And he stands there. He's like, you stand like this, you know, feet apart, raise your hand up, whatever, aim, and then you shoot. And then he, so he shoots out a blast. You know, but he's got his his gloves on or whatever like that. So she does the same thing, stands there, raises her hand or something like that. But it seems kind of silly. It's like just because she has ice power, it, she wouldn't necessarily unleash them the same way like maybe the ice power comes from the her the center of her body like her chest or or maybe it's like the palm of her hands and not from her fingers but it's because then he's like well you know she's like doing it like that she just does it like like over and over again like different ways and arms right bent whatever and chester's like uh i don't think she has ice power and mark's like well you're wrong and and Keon's, she's like i I, re I don't think i have ice powers either and he gets upset he's like i need a minute and he just like walks out so it's like, what the heck is your problem, dude? Cecile thinks, she's, she's like, well, you know, maybe there's a digital trail to who Dom owes money to and everything like that. And Becky's like, oh, yeah, what, what, what? And she, like, leans up to look at something. She knocks over Cecile's coffee mug. And she's like, let me guess. That was the only copy, right? And then Cecile looks. It's 8.07. She was supposed to be take the 8 o'clock train. She's like, I missed a train or anything. Oh, so Becky leaves to go get, get some paper towels. 
And she's like, I'm going to miss Jenna's birthday breakfast. She's like, I always make pancakes. Now, you know, I've ruined our tradition. And and she like says something. She's like, oh, because of that, you know, whatever, Becky. And, um, she kind of overhears it. But then she gets grabbed in the hall. Allegra goes to stop them. But the dude has this like um this little disc thing. He like throws it and it kind of like fizzles out or something like that. Cecile goes to use her, her TK power, telekinetic power. She like <laughs> lifts a fire extinguisher and she sends it flying at, at the guy, but then it stops, turns around, heads back towards them and it kind of like explodes, covering them a little bit with like, you know, fire extinguisher foam. The dudes get away with Becky. So Chester says, he's like, oh, yeah, I can't find Becky anywhere on the satellites. <laughs> Because he's, how did these satellites detect everything? Hey, satellite, look up Becky, you know, see if you can find her. And Cecile can't use her empath abilities because her powers are so wonky. But, you know, they're like, well, why are your powers so wonky if Becky's not around? And then she's like, well, it's, it's probably because I'm failing as a parent and I'm failing as a hero. Chester, like, you know, he looks at the, the, the disc thing. He's like, well, I'm going to take this back to my workshop and look into it. So um, then I like what Allegra did something. I don't remember. Anyway, so Kian Kion um, goes to Mark, which he's. It seems like a lot of time has passed. She she finds him in like the break room or something like that. She's like, "Why are you so angry?" And then he's like, well, "Why'd you kiss me?" And he's like, "What do you think would happen?" And then she's like, "I don't know." He's like, "Well, just just don't do it again." He's like, "Next time, you know, just try smelling salts or something." And she's like, "What was it bad?" And he's like, "No, but but the last time someone kissed me like that, you know, it was basically frost." He's like, "You know, for the briefest moment before I opened my eye, I thought she was back." And she like goes on about some stuff, blah blah blah, whatever like that. And they're talking. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if I was just like super tired, but like falling asleep or like that. But they're like holding hands, and it starts snowing in the room. So it's like, what the heck does that mean? I think she has some sort of elemental powers. I don't think she has ice powers because you know she's super into the plants and stuff, and she knows about like spring coming, and then you know about knowing about iris and you know life. So I think it's it's something more like nature elements. Cecile talks to Jen on the phone. She's like, yes, I know it's your birthday tomorrow. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be there. And she gets off the phone. And Allegra's like, how'd she take it? And then she's like, like a heartbroken five-year-old. And Allegra's like, she's like, well, when I was in your office, like, I found a pillow and sheets like tucked behind a, like one of the cushions in there. She's like, how long have you been staying there? And Cecile's like, since Joe and Jenna left, you know, it's been so quiet at the house. Allegra gives her this pep talk about how she's such a good role model for Jenna because, you know, she's showing her she can grow up, she can be anything she wants, all this stuff, whatever. Then Chuck texts. He found something, uh, so they go over there. The dark matter refractor, whatever thing, it reverses any meta ability. Um, he knew about this this thing in a disc because Goldface tried selling him one, but no one's been buying that. And so she was like, well, we're going to shut that down, whatever. But they only work momentarily. So it, it shouldn't still be working. And and then so what it turns out is why are Becky's power still on a fritz? It's because there's a crystal or whatever in her engagement ring. And it turns out that Dom's brother was with them when he went ring shopping. So Chester looks into his, his records, super easy to hack into it, I guess. And he's like, he's as broke as a joke. So he's going to use Becky to get rich. So Dom's brother, this is kind of weird. He's playing blackjack with Becky. And so somehow she's like the blackjack dealer. This is like at the bar. There's like, you know, upstairs in this private area. He's the only one playing and he keeps winning. And he's, he's just like such a dork about it and everything like that. Allegra and Cecile walk in and then Chester, you know, he's on the comm. He he's, says that they may have 
to do something or whatever like that. So then there's like a fight and you know, have to get the ring off or something like that. Then, uh, later at Cecile's, so the whole fight is like, whatever later at Cecile's Chester and leg were there. So Cecile's powers went wonky because she turned them on, on herself. You know, she was so worried. She stressed out about family and the situation, everything like that. So Allegra, she gets a, a text or message or something like that. So Dom woke up from his coma and Chuck's, you know, so, you know, the luck's changing and Chuck's like, well, I'm feeling lucky too, which is like inappropriate. So him and Allegra start smooching, whatever. Cecile's like, oh, you too. She's like, get a room. Or she's like, Allegra, you stay. She's like, no offense, Chuck. He's like, I'm not that chill. So she's like, I'm, I'm done sleeping in the office and I don't want to be alone in this big house, you know, and, you know, I got the spare room. My spare bedroom is probably bigger than your whole apartment. And, and she's like, I'll tell you, you know, you don't have to sign now, but my train leaves in an hour and I'm going to stay an extra night. So, you know, you have the whole weekend to move in and get settled like that. And she's like, yes, yes, I'll take it. So Allegra's moving in the house, which makes sense. And then, uh, then later, I guess it must be after, after the weekend, because Iris and Barry are coming home. They put out like these big banner balloons, whatever. And it's like, Nora will be here in a flash. And they're like, is this a baby shower? And, and that's the end, basically the end of the episode. So um, there's no Barry and Iris and uh, Iris got her hair done. Her hair did. So it's, it's interesting because you know, Grant Gustin didn't want to do a big, long episode or anything like that. And he's like not even up. So this is what I was saying. They could easily have done more, which maybe it's, it's for the best that they don't do a full season, but they could easily do other episodes just like this. He was in it for maybe three minutes tops. They, they could easily pull it off, but whatever. So that was a flash. And like nothing happened except Allegra moving in with Cecile. Then with Star Wars: The Bad Batch, uh, this this was a this was an okay episode. Uh, but what was weird is it felt like it could have been like the season finale. So we'll get to that at the end. Uh, season two, episode thirteen, Pabu. So there's like at this some space bar, Omegas with Fee Giona. So um, that's the uh, the the kind of the artifact. She's sort of supposed to be like a archaeologist type of thing, you know, looking for treasure and stuff like that. Um, I think it's a um, What's her name? I think it's like Wanda Sykes. That's her name. That the, the voice is her. So she was on on the episode before, and uh, so she's like they're doing like some deal, and this the one guy. His name's Crowder. He's surprised that he's like, oh, I don't know. You worked with someone before. He's talking about Omega or something like that, and, he, and she says, she's like, oh, I'm teaching her to find art and negotiation. So Omega slides over this case of credits, and so Crowder's like, oh, it looks like we have a deal. He's just like some alien dude or he's got a mask on i don't know what he is but he pours a drink and he slides it to to fee and she takes it but then she sniffs it and she's like poison's not typically my drink and he's like oh impressive for a pirate but he pushes his button under the table and this little compartment opens up and this by his feet and this like bug thing crawls out it might have been the like the bug that were were injected into padme's room to kill her in uh the second one <laughs> attack of the clones yeah so anyways this thing crawls out and it like goes on the table and it starts climbing up her her chair hunter is nearby just kind of listening or anything like that but she's like if you want to kill me you'll have to do better than that and so the critter's climbing up it's like right in the back by her by her head or anything like that crowder chuckles and then the 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 thing it has like a big stinger at the end it's getting ready to sting her but then his blade hits it like pins it against the wall and then hunter stands and she's like oh new pet you know she's like calm as a cucumber 
and then several thugs like all around like you know take out their blasters crowder's like he's like oh he's like well i'll take the artifact now he's like you should have brought more muscle than that wreckers nearby he starts starts laughing he's like she did fight breaks out v takes the artifact omega takes the credit she even like she's you know has her bow out book whatever bow and arrow and so then they're you know they're getting ready to run out they call tech for pickup they go outside jump in the ship you know they're still shooting going on they take off hyperspace Sophie's like talking to hunter and tech saying you know mago is pretty impressive and and they're like yeah and then you know she's somehow she's got the whole soldier thing down but don't think they think she should learn some other skills and tech's like what other skills Sophie's like, well, she spends all her time with with you three. You know, she needs friends, ones her own own age who you know and who don't share her genetic profile. Tech's like, well, we've never had that. And he's like, he's like, I don't see her being a problem. She's like, well, of course you wouldn't. So then they get a transmission from Sid. So they play it, it's just a recording. She's like, it's been twenty rotations and no word. You better be dead because your absence has cost me a few scores. And she's like, remember our mutually beneficial arrangement and how well we know one another, if you know what I mean. And you do well not to assume I'm just threatening you boys. So it's like Sid is a real piece of work here. He's like, oh, you didn't mention you cut ties with Sid. And Hunter's like, our mutually beneficial arrangement wasn't so beneficial mutually. And he's like, I've known Sid a long time. Uh, you know, she's a useful ally, but not someone you want to cross. And she's like, do you have a plan? And Hunter's like, you're looking at it. She's like, in that case, you're coming with me. So to go to this like, island and like the sea planets like you know blue oceans very nice she's like welcome to Pabu, my home away from home tech says that you know he's like i scanned the artifact and it holds little value and she's like well most of the stuff that she recovers has more meaning to others and all people on the planet are are there are in the island are refugees and there's like this kind of like this temple thing or whatever where she you know she puts the stuff in you know it's because some of it's like kind of like religious meaning for, for, for you know some of the people so she introduces him to this guy, Shep Hazard. He's a mayor of Pabu. He has his daughter, Liana. And um, Liana kind of says, you know, Liana's probably obviously like Omega's age, you know, conveniently. And she's like, she's never brought any friends here before. She's like, she must really like you. So they go to Shep's, you know, he brings out some food and Hunter asks if they're not worried that the, the empire will show up since, you know, there's all these refugees there. And he says that, you know, they're so small and significant, you know, it doesn't matter or whatever. And then, you know, he looks at Omega and Liana laughing and Fee's like, you know, a little stability might do them some good. And then, then it's time for a big feast. Liana ha- has her own boat, asks Omega if she wants to go out and see the sunset. And then Hunter's, he's, yeah, he says, sure, it's fine. He says, okay. Rucker starts groaning. He's like, I'm full. He's like, I'm never full because he's just eating so much food. But there's still like dessert coming. And then Tex says that he'll note the date and time so they can commer- commemorate the fact that he was finally full. Omega on the boat, she says that, you know, she spent most of her life surrounded by ocean, but it didn't feel like this place. So they go on about, you know, whatever. Hunter looks around and he's like, what's wrong? He's like, something's coming. Then there's like this big rumbling. So on the ocean, Omega's like, what was that? Leanna's like, oh, it's just a tremor. It happens all the time. But, you know, they, they'll, they, maybe they'll just bring the boat in just to, to be sure. Hunter calls Omega to see if they're okay. She's like, yeah. Shep says, oh, it's just island life. And Hunter's like, I don't think it's over. Then there's this other, like, aftershock rumble things. And he's like, I think, you know, you're at risk of a sea surge. Shep's like, we haven't had a sea surge in a long time. And Tech's like, we're going to have to evacuate lower Pabu because there's, like, a a whole lower sea. Because so many people started coming, so they started building, like, lower parts. So basically, they're going to get hit by, like, a tidal wave or whatever. 
on a boat, they're trying to go back, but the tide is pulling it out. So it's like they're not moving. You know, they're just going in place. And then uh, behind them, there's there's some big rocks that are going to collide with them. So they have to jump out. They make it to this big, big rock, and, but now they're kind of stuck there. They the, the, the clones are helping people evacuate the lower area. Hunter reaches a ship. Omega and Liana are running on the rock because the water is coming at them. So he drops a cable thing. They both grab on. They, they get away. Huge wave hits. Lower buildings are, um, are underwater. And the next day, the inhabitants are recovering. You can see that they're distraught. You know, they lost their homes, but, you know, they survived and everything like that. Fee is, like, handing out blankets and stuff to people. Everyone's kind of, like, sitting in a courtyard. Um, Fee sees Liana, uh, Omega, and Wrecker sleeping against a tree. And then Hunt, or Tech's about to go up to him, and she, like, stops him. She's, you know, just, like, leave them be or whatever. And Shep says that, you know, all the people were saved. You know, their property was damaged. But Tech says that he calculates it'll be several rotations to repair everything. And Hunter's like, I was thinking that, you know, we could stay and help out with things. And Tech's like, I had the same idea. So Hunter says to Shep, he's like, that is, uh, if you don't mind us sticking around for a while. And he, like, chuckles. He's like, oh, you would be most welcome. And that's basically it. <laughs> so it's like, how long are you going to stay there? Uh, and But see, that... I, that would be a good season finale because then it, it's just like however long it takes for season three, they could have been staying on the island. But I guess maybe that wouldn't be like a strong, cool cliffhanger of a season. So they, I guess I'm assuming they'll just do it where like some time passes and then they move on for whatever reason. So I guess we'll have to see. Because like I said, you know, it was it was a fine episode, but it's like wasn't like super spectacular or anything like that. Okay, <laughs> then Star Wars the is it? It's called Star Wars the Mandalorian, or is it just the Mandalorian? The Mandalorian uh, episode season three, episode three, the convert. This was such a weird episode. It kind of makes me mad in, in a way. It was it starts off you know just a lot of cool stuff happening, and then we get this super weird segue, and it's like what the heck? I see the kind of connection from based off of past. But it's like really. Okay, so it starts off, Mandalorian's still unconscious, you know, from they flew out of the living waters. He finally starts coughing, and, you know, Grogu's, like, cute, you know, standing by his side. And then he sits up. He's like, I am redeemed. Bo-Katan, she's like, I witness it. And she's like, you know, so he he bathed in his, and so he, he bathed in the water, so he's Mandalorian again. So she's like, can we leave now? He He's like, he takes a sample of the water in a little tube, sticks in his belt. And, you know, she says... I want to ask you something and not, I'm not really sure what this was about, but she's like, did you see anything down there? And he says that, you know, when he, he was there, there was, you know, just a chasm, whatever. He didn't realize it was so deep. And I think she said it was like the bombing may have triggered seismic activity or something like that. But she's like, did you see anything alive? He's like alive. Like what? And she's like, Oh, nothing. She's like, let's just get out of here. Cause there was like some big creature, you know, you see the saw the eye. And I thought like this thing was trying to eat them. It's like, did it pull him? It was, I, I still not totally clear. Did I maybe I missed something like what exactly happened to him? So, you know, they're about to leave and she gives the waters like one more look and then they they, they head out of there. So then they take off in Bo-Katan's ship. Um, so he's like, just take me my ship and I'll be on my way. He's like, I'll be forever in your debt. And she's like, well, I'd invite you in for a feast, but I'm guessing that helmet isn't coming off again. He, and he's like, this is the way. And then so she repeats, this is the way. And then Gro Grogu is like, rawr, rawr, like babbles something. So I don't know if Grogu is trying to say that too. Because they, they like look at each other, whatever, like that. But then they get hit by a blast. So there, there's a, a, a bunch of a, a TIE interceptors coming. 
and she says their, their shields aren't going to hold. So he has to take like the rear gun. He goes back there and apparently she stole from some Imperial warlords before or something like that. And she's like, I didn't think they'd get so angry or something like that. And so they're, they're approaching her planet. Mando like takes one out. He's going to have to do like a transfer out of because sh- he has to get to his ship. So he's going to have to jump out of her ship and go to his ship. So, you know, so he can like, you know, help take them out as he jumps out he barely misses getting hit by the, the ties and then he like slows himself down with his backpack or whatever jumps into his ship get takes off and uh you know goes he gets in his ship the tie fighters like approaching him like shooting at him he takes off he goes like uh like straight up you know, like and he like drops down he starts shooting and takes takes one out Heads towards Bo Katan. She's like flying around the edges of the cliff or whatever, because you know she's flown these cliffs, you know, all her life or whatever. But then she admits it's been a while. One smashes into the side of some rocks. Three left uh, behind her, and uh, Mando takes one out too. So now there's, or there's, yeah. So now there's two left. She tells him to go right. She'll meet him on the other side. Takes another one out. Then she slams on her brakes. She does this like her her ship is kind of weird because she does this weird twist. Like part of it like kind of rotates whatever, and she like turns around. She takes the last one out. So then she commends him on his shooting and his flying. She's like that's pretty good or impressive for an antique. And then he asks if she's taking any damage. She's like, just the shields. She's like, how about you? He's like, not a scratch. So I don't know if he's like bragging or whatever. And then something comes up on his scopes. There's Thai bombers. They're attacking the palace. And Bo-Katan, she's gasped. And then she's like kind of pissed. She's like, that's my home. So they go after the bombers, you know, take one out. Then Mando notices that there's a lot more coming. He's like, Bo, she's like, you have to get out of here. And she says, like, that's a, a lot for an Imperial warlord. And he's like, I'm going to send you some coordinates to somewhere where they won't find us. So they jump. And then, then it cuts a course on. I was like, so is that where they're going? But then we see this dude, Dr. Pershing, which I think he might have been in The Mandalorian before he was on. I think he was on Moff Gideon's ship. He's talking about, the, you know, being in the amnesty program. You know, many had no choice working for the Empire. The New Republic is giving them a second chance. You know, he talks about, you know, the pursuit of knowledge and he, about his cloning tech that, you know, the stuff that he was working on. He's like in this big arena or whatever. He talks about losing his mother when he was young. Her heart just gave out. If simple cloning was available, her life could have been saved. And he talks about like the the Kaminoans and like the work that they did and everything like that. So then after his his talk, he's like kind of in a lobby area. People are talking to him and all this stuff like that, you know, about uh, stuff that he's doing and blah, blah, blah. Goes back to amnesty housing. There's some others like in this little court ear thing. They're like, oh, come join us for a drink. And so they all refer to each other by like a letter and a number. It's like they don't have names. They don't use names or anything like that. So this one dude introduces them. And then the last one, G68. So that's uh, she was in Mandalorian before she was working with uh, on Moff Gideon's ship. It's Alia Kane. So um, she like nods and she's like, doctor. And then Pershing kind of like reacts when he sees her. He's like, oh, I didn't expect to see anyone from Moff Gideon's ship here. Then the, the dude that introduced him, he's like, Gideon. He's like, I don't know. You worked for him. And she's like, yeah, I try not to think of him anymore. Uh, she's like, I, you know, I want to work for the New Republic like you guys. And then, you know, they, they take their drink. Long live the New Republic. So they all you know, drink to it. So then uh, he's told, you know, take a seat. So he says that, you know, there are more of them here there than, than he expected. Um, she later offers to show him the sights around Coruscant because, you know, she's like, how you settling in or whatever. So they ask if there's anything that he misses. And he's like, 
he said about like these yellow travel biscuits in the ration packs and they're like like oh whatever and and i think she's like oh, i like the gray ones better or something whatever so he goes his quarters later and then um he you know he's like reading something like a tablet on, on bed then there's like a, a chime at his door so he gets up goes over it and he looks there's like no one there he looks like left and right no one in sight but then he looks down there's this black box there so he takes it in opens it it's full of yellow travel biscuits and one of the things they said before is like you can't get those in the core world you know they're, they're like super hard to come by now so someone got these biscuits for him then we see Pershing he's working in this cubicle and this, this guy comes up he's like oh I saw your talk and he's like I know you're so experienced you know surprised that you're they have you working down there and he's like you know as long as I'm, I'm helping out the new republic that's all that matters so uh this lady Kane um Lie or whatever her name is. She takes him around the city plaza. She mentions that she had been there before. You know, she trained at the academy, and you know they thought that they were doing good back then. He talks about his work and how you know they were close to a breakthrough. You know, he could have helped a lot of people. And she's like, "Well, why not continue it here?" And he's like, "I don't think it's something a new republic would be interested in. You know, the ethics of cloning are complicated." And she's like, "But if if it can help people, isn't that enough?" And he says, or she's like, you know following orders blindly is how we got in trouble in the first place you know it's like sometimes you have to trust your gut so it's like you know the new republic is trying their best but they're struggling you know there's a lot of capable people who are willing to help and she's like do you understand what i'm saying and he like nods and he kind of changes the subject he's like what's that there's like this big rock in the middle of the plaza and she's like it's from whatever this one place the highest point in coruscant you can actually like look down and see the, the planet or something like that and then she's like you want to touch it? He's like, are we allowed? And she's like, this is New Republic. It's not the Empire. So he goes up there and he reches over to touch it. And his little droid thing is like, please don't touch that. And so he gets scared. She played a trick on him. Next day, uh, he goes to this like therapist droid thing that interviews him, asks him, you know, is he comfortable with his quarters? Is he any, under any stress? Does he ha feel any anger towards coworkers or towards a New Republic? And But then he, asked, you know, he answered all the questions and he asks if... Um, if he were to pursue his own research, would that be allowed? And a droid, like, he's like, your work is in a genetic cloning is expressly prohibited by the Coruscant Accords. So it, like, looked up what he was doing. So basically, he can't do his work. He heads back to his place, and he sees Kane in the courtyard. Uh, he mentioned him talking about, like, his research the other day. He's like, I, I know it's important, and it can help the Republic, or New Republic. He's like, um, you know, if, if I can prove that it's important. She's like, well, it sounds like you want to continue it. And he's like, yeah, but how? You know, he's he says he'd need a few things to get started. And he's she's like, we can get you a mobile lab station, but it would require going outside our designated perimeter. And he's like, well, I can't do that. He's like, if they find out, you know, we could both get sent back to the reintegration institute. And she's like, she says that she has a, a lot to repay. You know, she's trying to make up for what she's done. So she's willing to take the risk if he thinks that his work is as important as he says. And he's like, I don't know, it's too dangerous. And she's like, well, why don't you sleep on it? So then in his cubicle, he sees that they're destroying like imperial equipment and this guy that like walks by, brings some stuff. He asks if he's like, well, this could be useful. And the other guy's like, I don't, you know, they're just really busy. You know, they don't really have time to inspect things or whatever like that. So it's best just to get rid of it. But now he's like, you know, thinking about that. He talks to the therapist right again. And he's like, you know, we're supposed to be helping the Republic, right? And they're like, yeah. So, you know, see, he's thinking, it's like, okay, so this is for the greater good. So maybe if I have to break some rules, it's worth it. Then he goes to Kane and he's, he's like, you know, the mobile lab station, let's go get it. 
so then he like he's in his apartment or whatever he's like in a mirror and he's like he's like I'm, I'm helping a new republic it's the right thing to do so he's like trying to talk himself into it so kane and pershing head out he's nervous they got in, on this like train thing um they actually like, like they they kind of jumped the turnstile sort of then he's like where are we going and she's like the disposal yards and she's like you know we, we can just slip in you can get what you want we'll be back at you know, amnesty housing and he's like, have you done this before? And she's like, where do you think I got the biscuits? So she's the one that got those things. Then as they're sitting on a train, some like droids come in asking people for their tickets. So it's like they're supposed to be the conductors and like that. So they get up and they start walking like back through the, the cars. They're looking pretty suspicious. You know, there's other people like just like staring at them as they're kind of almost running. Then they finally get to like the end of the train. And she's like, we're gonna have to jump. And he's like, what? And she's like, trust me. So then uh, the intercom whatever says that they're arriving at the shipyard depot so they jump off it's perfectly timed jump onto this like big something softish then they roll off it and they just kind of laugh and then they they go to this area there's like this big star destroyer sitting there so they're gonna go in there they go inside and you know he's like worries like aren't there any guards or anything like that she's like there's no reason to guard the ships because they're inoperable so they, they go into this lab and he's like, this is perfect. And he takes this case. He starts like, you know, gathering stuff, figures what, what he needs. Then you hear like a clunk in the distance. And she's like, oh, that's just a ship settling. So she's like, well, I'll go stand guard if you want. You know, I'll just look outside. But you know, so they, they start to leave. But then they hear like this big clatter and like some footsteps, or whatever. They start running. They get outside and there's like big spotlight on, on them. So they're like under arrest. But then Kane kind of stands in front of him. And takes the, the case of stuff that he took, and she walks away, and he's told to raise his hands. Cuffs are put on him, but not her. So then he's, like, strapped to this table, and he's like, I can explain. And then he's told, he's like, there's no need. The other amnesty officer, Kane, she already submitted a report. So she's, like, standing and watching behind this glass in this observation area or, like, the control room. And he's like, what'd she say? And uh, the alien dude, he's like a, a Mon Calamarin, his Admiral Akbar dude, but he's, like, gold. He's, he's like, well, I understand this could be difficult. He's, so they roll up this advice. And he's like, that's a mind flayer. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's you're not anymore. He's like, it's a non-invasive experimental treatment. It's recently approved for rehabilitation at low voltages. It's quite soothing. He's like, no, it's a mind flayer. And then he's like, she brought me there. It was a trap. She set me up. So in the control, you know, the devices turned on, whatever. And Kane's like, can I stay? You know, he's a friend. And I, I still care about him. And the technician's like, oh, yeah, you know, you can stay, whatever. And then the technician leaves. So she's like standing there. And then she turns the voltage up to the max. And then you see like the electricity zapping him. And that's the end. Then it cuts back to Mando and Bo-Katan. So like all that part. That was like the majority of the episode. So Mando and Bo-Katan, they, they come out of hyperspace. He's bringing her to a Mandalorian covert. It's like a secret location. So that's how they survived. And uh, she says that she's like, oh, they still go by the old ways. And he's like, it'll go smoother if you keep your helmet on. So I think it's a place where last episode where there's like a ceremony going and then he flies in, kills that like water lizard thing or whatever. So they, they land there, and, and then some Mandos come out of the cave. That one dude, Paz Vizla, he, he's like, you know, no for, you move no, or come no further. He's like, you are an apostate. And Mando's like, no longer. He's like, I have been to the mines of Mandalore. And pa Paz is like, impossible. The, the mines were collapsed in a purge. The planet is cursed. And then he's like, these are lies meant to keep us in exile. 
Paz is like, well, how do we know this is, it's not you who is lying? And Bo-Katan's like, he speaks the truth. I was witness. And he's like, and who are you, Night Owl? She steps forward. I am Bo-Katan of Clan Crees. And he's like, your house has fallen from the way. You are both apostates. And then um, he's like, we have been to the living waters. The, and the other Mandalorians around are like, like chattering, like, what this? He's like, I bring proof. He pulls out the tube of water, and then Paz is like, we shall see. So they enter the cave. They're brought to the armorer, and Paz is like, Din Jaren claims to have been to the living waters. And she's like, is this true? He's like, it is. I have proof. He holds up the tube of water. So she takes it. Bo-Katan says that she was witness that she fell into the depth and pulled, or he fell into the depth, and she pulled him out. So the armorer takes the water, pours it in this, like, some things, and it, like, shimmers or whatever. And she's like, he speaks the truth. These are indeed the living waters. Din Djarin, you are redeemed. This is the way. This is the way. And then she's like, and Bo-Katan Kree's, by creed, you too are redeemed. And she's like, but I do not walk the way. Armor is like, did you bathe in the waters? And she's like, I did. And she's like, have you removed your helmet since? And she's like, no, I have not. Armor is like, then you may join our covert and live as your ancestors once did. You may leave anytime you wish. Until then, you are one of us. Welcome, Bo-Katan of Clan Crees. This is the way. This is the way. And so the others come up to him, pat him on the shoulders, stuff like that. And she stands there and she looks at like, the, the horn Mando symbol on the wall. And so I think she's like, you know, maybe this isn't such a bad thing. So she's thinking about it, but I don't think she's going to go for it. But maybe she's looking at it like, well, you know, she wants to rule Mandalore or whatever, but, you know, maybe this could be another way, get in with these guys and who knows. So that was the end. But it's like, are you serious? This whole episode is like hardly anything to deal with them. And we get this other dude. It's like, and it's, it's the fact is like the guy had his mind fried. So it's like, what was the point of that? You know, he's, he's this dude that's like working on cloning stuff and you know, he's trying to be a good guy. And then he, he gets zapped. And I barely even remember like what they did to, to uh, Gideon. So I, I'm assuming, you know, obviously she set him up. And is it maybe to protect whatever stuff that he was working on? Those cloning things? I don't even know. So it's just such a weird. It was, it was, a, it was a disappointment. Uh, the the uh, Mandalorian Bo-Katan parts were cool, but I feel like we got ripped off. Then there is Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 5, Imposters. So continuing from uh, last week, the ship is, uh, they're getting systems back online. You know, they escaped, escaped the nebula. Then we see um, Jack Crusher in a uniform, and he comes onto the bridge, and he, like, shoots everyone. And there's this one officer, I think it's Esmar, she's like, I know what you really are. And then, like, those red tendril carnage things, whatever, kind of appear behind his head, and then it kind of goes onto hers, whatever, and he, like, shoots. But then it's like back in the presence. Jack's like standing. He has a phaser in his hand. He like drops it. It's it's like he's he's suddenly aware, um, and then you know that he's like holding it. He like looks at both his hands, and then his eyes start turning red. And then a, a voice whispers, "Come home." So it's like, what the heck is going on? Is like, is this dream? It's like I, I'm so confused. So Riker does an acting captain's log. You know, still no sign of of Vatic. Uh, then. Riker, Picard, Seven, and Shaw talk about the changeling. You know, how did it even get on board undetected? Because Seven says that Seven says that 
every crew member passes through an internal imaging chamber thing before they come on board. It's it's standard protocol since this Dominion, Dominion War. I don't even know what this Dominion War is. Like when was this ever explained or shown depicted somewhere? Um, I need to look into that because again, I'm not like a Star Trek like Uber nerd where I don't know I don't do not know everything. But I'm I'm really curious about that. Riker says that Starfleet's also going to want answers from them for commandeering the ship and endangering the crew. And then Picard says that, you know, it's time to go home and face the music. Riker stands and then he returns, you know, formally returns controls as captain back to Shaw. Protocol transfer, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Transfer is complete. And then Shaw's like, you know, oh, I should probably tell you that I already contacted Starfleet and they're underway. So he turns to seven and he says, uh, Commander, would you like to face the said sad music stated or unstated? And she's like, stated. So he's like, okay, you are reinstated. He kind of like sarcastically like taps both of her shoulders and he's like, you're reinstated. Then he's like, oh, because of the harrowing ordeal that we all face together, he's like, I'm going to step out of hall so you can get your BS story straight. <laughs> so he's, he's just like such a jerk and, and he knows it. And he's like totally fine with it. And it's just it's kind of funny in a way. I just I, I love love him. Um, Picard says that you know when Starfleet arrives, that he'll bear the brunt of you know all of this stuff. Then Picard tells Beverly and Jack that Starfleet is on the way. She feels bad that you know he was put in such a difficult position, but he says it's fine. You know he hopes he kind of like he hopes to be con- you know continue to be part of her lives or whatever like that. And but then she says she doesn't think it's over yet. You know somehow a changing was able to bypass the ship's internal security system. Um, so she wants to check out the, the body and Picard's like, do it. So Jack asked Picard if he should put on a, a pair of restraints. And Picard says that, you know, Starfleet is based on reason and, you know, he himself can be persuasive when he needs to be. And Jack's like, yeah, I believe that. And then Picard says that, you know, now Starfleet is made of people from different walks of life. So maybe Jack could consider a more violent vocation. And Jack's like, Starfleet? It's like me? He's like, for such a brilliant man, you haven't been paying much attention, have you? He's like, no offense, but when Starfleet is done with me, I'll be on my way. And Picard's like, oh, of course. And he goes to leave. He stops, turns around, but then he continues out. We see Worf and Raffi. I don't think we saw them last episode. They're like sparring. You know, they're like fighting each other. He has like a big blade and she has like two of the battle staves, metal things, you know, whatever sticks. And then they get an encrypted message from Starfleet. So his request for in- information on Daystrom station is denied. And the, it basically it's like, you know, pursue it in a different way. So they figured that wh- whoever denied it is higher than Worf's handler. So the handler saying like, yeah, your request has been denied, but go ahead and try to figure out another way to, you know, to figure this out. So then, then, you know, how did the changeling gain access? Cause you know, only Sneed can answer, but Worf chopped off his head, you know, cause she's like, well, you chopped his head off. And, and he's like to save your life because you disobeyed orders. So, you know, they're, they're kind of like bickering back and forth. And then he knows like, um, someone else, Kryn, this kingpin of crime, the crime syndicate, whatever, specializing in high security infiltration, whatever. So he may be able to answer some questions. You know, he, he's wanted for multiple grand theft, you know, murders and whatever, all this stuff like that. So to go to the area um, where Sneed was killed at, like, shady district place, and it seems like everyone's scared of them. And Worf says that they're the new alphas in District 6 since they killed Sneed 
and Rafi, um, she starts she pew, pew, shoots up in the air. She's yelling, he's like, we need some information. It's like, whatever happened to Sneed will happen to everyone if you don't cooperate. And Worf just like kind of gets down. He starts meditating. He's like waiting for the ecology of District 6 to right itself. Then the USS Intrepid arrives. They tell the, the Titan to power down. Seven tells Shaw that they're sending over a shuttle of security officers. And Shaw, is, he's like, what? He's like, why? He's like, something wrong with their transporters? But, you know, he, he told that the... He's told that the security officer is insisting on a shuttle. Then he's like, that's strange. And Picard whispers to Seven that he might have to ask her for one more favor. And she's like, we'll ask it while you can. So they wait. <laughs> Sean's like humming. And Picard's like, do you mind? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm just feeling chipper or whatever. So then Ro Lauren comes on board with two others. And so Riker and like Picard, you know, Riker's like, he, he's recognized right away. And Picard like doesn't say a word. So with Ro Lauren, if you watch Star Trek The Next Generation, you know who, who this character is. So this is a big character. I wasn't overly familiar. Um, I think she was only like in the last. I don't know if she was uh, how many episodes she was in. I should look it up, but I know for a fact she was like at at the final episodes, and so there's this whole big history between Roe and Picard. Like you know, he was like her mentor and all this stuff like that, and then she just kind kind of like betrayed them, betrayed Starfleet, like for this the Marquise, this like other race species or something like that. So her being there is like, wait, what the heck is going on? So, but then it cuts to we see Seven grabs Jack in the hallway and like guides him somewhere. He's like, whoa, what's going on? And she's like, I'm taking you somewhere where they, they can't find you. So Rolaren tells Riker and Picard that they're to be brought in for questioning. And they're like, well, what, you know, prepare for the charges or what are the charges, whatever. Like, and she's like, treason. Seven gives Jack like a duffel bag and he looks inside. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I can't do this. And she's like, just do it. And she's like, if security officers come looking, it's best to hide you in plain sight. So he like looks, it's it's a Starfleet uniform. And I don't know if he's, I don't know if it's just that he's against ideals of Starfleet or just idea of conforming and all that, or it's because of these visions. He had that vision where he was wearing a uniform and he's killing people. Beverly is in uh, just like a exam room with a doc and Ensign LaForge. She asks LaForge, you know, to state for the record that the body is not hers. And she throws up and she's like, Note, you know, note for the record that LaForge said it wasn't or something like that. Then Beverly says that what they know is typically typically upon death, changelings revert back to their liquid form, but somehow this one retained its last, the last form it took on. So she's gonna start checking with like the epidermis. She like does a slice and there's like blood like plasma, but there's no DNA in there. So it's like, what the heck? This isn't normal. Picard sits with Riker. And he wonders, like, how the heck did Ro Lauren get back in Starfleet? You know, she should be in prison for what she did. Riker's like, that was 30 years ago. Picard's like, the, the last time you saw her, she put a phaser on or pull a phaser on you. And Riker says, you know, that Picard mentored her. You know, they made a bond. And he's like, and she broke it. Then she comes in. She says that, that the ship is under review. Most of the crew is being transported off for reassignment. They'll be questioned separately. And Riker is like, this tone sounds like our guilt has already been predetermined. She says that their cooperation can have an effect on, you know, whether that's the case or not. Riker's like, come on, Ro. He's like, you know us. And she said, for these proceedings, you are to address me as commander. 
And then she says that she'll start with Admiral Picard. And he's like, I'm curious, how does a lieutenant who betrays Starfleet and her commanding officer get reinstated? And she just like ignores that. She's like, did you or did you not board a Titan under the guise of conducting an official inspection in order to steal a shuttle? He replies, and how does a traitor stand here posing as a commander in Starfleet? And she's like, posing? As if I'm an imposter? And she's like, yes, Captain Shaw said you had a changeling issue on board. So she takes out a knife. Let's get this out of the way. She cuts her hand. It bleeds, which doesn't mean anything because we saw that it can replicate the blood. So he's like, blood or no blood, your Bajoran earring. He cuts himself off. Your Bajoran earring. You're not wearing it. I thought it was a symbol of your faith. Or is this you turning your back on another institution? And she's like, save your animosity, Admiral. She's like, this isn't about you. She's like, let's talk about your son. It's like, what? What does that have to do with anything? And then now the, the closed captioning says that the echoing voice that Jack hears, it says it's Beverly's. It's like, that doesn't make sense. Because it's like, find me, hear me, connect us, connect us. And he, so he's wearing a uniform. He finally comes out of the room that he's, you know, he's kind of struggled for a bit. He like didn't want to come out. And then uh, he sees like five people get a transporter. You know, they're going over to the Intrepid. He watches and they start turning red, like in the transporters. Then his, his eyes go red and he hears like screams. And then uh, it, it all goes normal. And this dude's like, did you, did you hear me? He's like, were you ordered to beam on to the, onto the Intrepid yet? And Jack's like, looks at him. He's like, Intrepid? He's like, no, no. He's like, is there anywhere else I can go? Another planet? Anywhere as long as it's not a Starfleet ship? And they're like, no. And then he shoots him. But that wasn't real either. Then, then the same guy's like, are you all right? And Jack just like turns and leaves. Raffi's kind of like pacing. Worf is, is still like meditating. And then a, a green like laser sight goes on Worf. And, you know, she sees that. And then uh, the one goes on, on, on Raffi as well. This guy with like several armed guards come up. So this is that guy, Kryn. He talks about some like pride and downfall, whatever. He's like, they killed Sneed here in public. And he's like, what have we learned? Um, it's This is a, a Kirk Acevedo is, is this Kryn guy. So, you know, if you've ever seen him, you know, he's always, he has this like the way he carries himself and everything like that, which, you know, it's perfect for the character. So he's like, uh, you know, pride leads us, to tra- leads us into traps or whatever. He's like, but patience brings great rewards. Worf's like, we seek information on your criminal activity. And he's like, I assure you, we have the upper hands. And then uh, Kryn shoots Raffi, but there was a mobile admitter. He's like, you, he asked, says Worf, he's like, you think I wouldn't recognize it? Raffi is actually hiding off. She has Kryn in her sights, but then someone comes behind her with a gun. So then uh, Kryn's like, says that he was prepared for them or whatever. The changeling is still being examined. Um, it's completed. It somehow was able to replicate human organs only under intense inspection does it revert to its natural state. And she's like, this, this is, this is an evolution. And she's like, Beverly's like, you know, they could be anywhere, anyone, and we'd never know it. Roe asked Picard to tell her about Jack. And he's like, I'm not sure I can do that. I've only known him a few days. And he's like, how is this relevant to your investigation? Which is exactly. (laughs) Then Crusher calls Picard and Roe's like, go ahead, answer it. And then he's, he's like, I'm with Roe. And she's like, I understand, but you know, it's like, I have the test results and you should look at them right away. So he's like, send them here. He excuses himself. He's like, this is a private, urgent medical issue. 
So he goes, he you know, just steps up to the wall to one of the computers, like reads it. It says changelings can pass blood test capabilities beyond superficial. Trust no one. Ro from, you know, the other side of the room, she's like, is everything all right? And he asks, he's like, why are you so interested in my son? And she's like, perhaps you're avoiding the question. Um, then, he, you know, he's not central to investigation. Picard says that it's strange that she hasn't asked about Vatic or the Shrike. And then Ro, the, or the, the Ro he remembers was much more thorough. And she's like, perhaps you didn't know me at all. And Picard's like, so enlighten me. How did you claw your way back into Starfleet? She kind of like chuckles, you know. After years, she turned herself into Starfleet. She was court-martialed. She was sent to prison again. Due to her history with terrorist groups, she was recruited into Starfleet intelligence. She was put through this like arduous rehabilitation program, and she passed. And she says that these are mere... And he says that these are mere facts. You know, it's, it's not what he wants to know. He wants to know why did she join the enemy? You know, why did you betray your honor? And she's like, my honor or Starfleet? And she's like, blind faith doesn't make one honorable. She's like, you tell me everything you know about the changeling on board, which is weird because she was just asking about Jack. Now she's asking about change. It's like, make up your mind. So he says he knows nothing. He's like, they killed it. So she's like, well, I'd like to see the remains. So then he gets up and they, they go out into the, into the hall. The security crew is now looking for Jack. So you know they're probably changing, right? Picard says that they should alert sick bay that they're coming. And then Rogue pulls a phaser out on, behind him. And she's like, change of plans, Admiral. Step into the holodeck. So is Rogue really uh, a changeling? It, they, they go into the holodeck. It's still set at the bar. So she tells the computer to lock the entrance. Then he goes behind the bar, and he like you know he's like, "What will it be?" And then he turns off the safety protocols. And she's like, you know, hands up, whatever, because you know he just pulls out two glasses. He's like, "Tap shelf it is." So she's like, "The walls are a little thin." She's like, "Is there music?" So he calls the you know tells the computer to play whatever. And this jukebox turns turns on. She like turns to look because it you know kind of kicks on and then he pulls out a phaser too he's like this is guinan's he's like you remember her don't you and she's like put it down and she's like i will kill you he's like tell me who you really are and she's like you tell me she's like how do we know you're not compromised and he's like when you first came on the enterprise your bajoran earring violated the starfleet dress code she says that you know she's like we've been through this but he's says that she said it represented the family she lost, so he allowed it until he realized it was for her ego. And in, in her language, he's like, an ego that would lead to your, to you to betray me or something like that. They go back and forth about her, like her betrayal, whatever, like this. She says that she was just trying to, or he was just trying to mold her in his image, that he betrayed her, and then he says that she broke his heart, and, he, and she says that he broke hers. Then she puts the phaser down, and he does that too. So he's like, well, if that pain tells us anything, it's we are who we say we are. Then he's like, why are you here, Ro? And then she's like, Starfleet is compromised. It's at the highest level. She's like, Jean-Luc, I need you to tell me right now. Do you trust me? And he like just looks at her and everything. Then he like nods. Yes. So the dude um, with Rafi, Kryn, um, with Rafi and, and Worf, he says that he's Sneed's brother. And Worf is like, well, considering you were a Vulcan and Sneed with Ferengi, he's like, I don't think that's really possible. And and Kryn's like, well, not by birth, but we grew up together. So then then he wants Worf and Rafi to fight each other. 
because uh, apparently his men has, have placed wagers how long the human will survive, and in some people feel it would be the opposite that the human will actually kill Worf or whatever. So Worf's like says some stuff, and he's like, "It's been an honor," and he tells her like, "Not to hold back." He's like, "Because I cannot." They fight and everything, and blah blah blah, psh, 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 you know, going back and forth like that, and then finally she stabs him aside. And she's like, I'm sorry. He's like, do not be. He's like, today was a good day to die. You are a good warrior, and this is a worthy death. And he falls. So it's like, holy crap, they just kill off Worf. But I mean, I guess, you know, like anything goes. The two security um, with Roe, they're like, they go somewhere, and then they kind of chitter to each other. So they're definitely changelings. Roe tells Picard that she believes changelings have infiltrated every sphere of power at Starfleet, including key personnel. He's like, how is that possible? She thinks that there are more on the Intrepid. She can't even trust uh, the captain or the transporters. So there have been issues for months. Then um, she asks, you know, what does he know about Frontiers Day? And, you know, it's a gathering or whatever. But she says that, you know, their entire fleet is on display and this the titan is not the only ship with changing problems there are 12 ships across starfleet that have had problems but it's all being kept quiet and then picard's like what does this have to do with jack she says all she knows that starfleet is interested or they insisted that she retrieve him and it's not the first time that she heard his name plus a few days ago the recruitment center was destroyed using a portal weapon and she's like does that sound familiar he's like the same used by vatic so he suggests that they take this to Admiral Janeway or Chancellor Roll. Like, I don't know who Chancellor Roll is. I know Janeway was from, what was it, Star Trek? Not Discovery. What was the other? Voyager. <laughs> Jeez. I, too, know stumped a little bit about Star Trek. So that, that's obviously that, that's the show where Seven came from. But she says that she's tried, that you know, all she has is a couple assets on the ground that she trusts. But, you know, they don't really have much to go on because, you know, all these people, they have like layers of protecting people in between them that are, you know, and basically blocking in, in a way. Kryn says after Worf is killed, he's like, oh, most unexpected. So he tells a guy to check him. He like just shakes his head. He, he's like, oh, the smell is like Klingon blood. It makes me sick. He's like, get rid of him. So then Kryn tells Rafi, he's like, you work for me now. And, you know, because she has more to lose. Because she's like, what? you're crazy. And he's like, husband, son, granddaughter. She's like, you'll never own me. She's like, I'll kill you first. And Corinne is like, care to wager on that? Then they, you hear some commotion and like some squish. Two guys get impaled. Worf comes up behind Corinne, puts a blade to his neck. Rafi asks, she's like, how are you? She's like, I hope I, I didn't you know, stab you too deep. Corinne's like, you are dead. Worf says that he mastered some technique from i forgot what whose technique it was rafi's and she's like talk so he says um reason dictates that they need him alive because you know he's a vulcan and she says that her friend has lost a lot of blood so how much of his impatience have you factored in there and Kryn says that daystrom station is guarded by a highly sophisticated ai system but it has flaws that are most illogical Meanwhile, Roe tells Picard that she's transported most of the crew to the Intrepid. She's left a skeleton crew, so he needs to take the ship and run. She's headed back to buy more time for, for them. Then her two security people come up. She just says, uh, prepare the shuttle because they're, they're leaving. And then, then she's, they start to walk. They, they walk a, a tiny bit, and then um, she hands Picard something. 
and she says that you know she wishes that he got to know her when she left or whatever and he's like i wish the same thing one security is like we were instructed to leave with jack crusher and she's like we're leaving that's an order so picard watches him leave and then he looks in his hand and it's rose earring picard goes to the bridge shaw's like that was the fastest court martial i've ever seen picard tells shaw that he must listen to him he's like we have to run and Seven's like, run. Picard says that, he's like, I don't have the time to explain. Starfleet is compromised, and so is this is that ship. So it's all so much worse than we thought. Shaw looks at him, and he's like, security? Riker's like, belay that. And Shaw's like, don't you dare. Picard's like, Captain, you must trust me. So the shuttle takes off. Roe is cleared to land her shuttle. But then the two security guards lock this device on the floor, and then they teleport out of there. So I wasn't really sure like where they went to. Did they go back to the titan or it's intrepid it turns out they go back to the titan ro um tries calling intrepid but she only gets static so seven says that they're being hailed by the shuttle so shaw's like put it on screen so it's ro she's like they know my security team beamed off they planted an explosive Riker says to beam her out of there right now but seven's like there's some sort of inhibitor in, in the shuttle so if they get closer they might be able to you know lock onto her Riker tells ro to turn back towards the titan and she glances at the device she's like i don't have time to disarm it laforge says that she's turning away and then rose says to john luke it's like it's up to you now finish what i've started i'm giving you what you gave me all those years ago a fighting chance and he's like i do see you everything it's like forgive me so she heads back towards the intrepid she goes to like where the shuttles land in the little arm thing. It blows up like in a shuttle blade, big bright flash. They're all kind of like stunned. Shaw just like stares at the screen. Picard like slumps back into a chair. And then they, they're told that the Intrepid is raising shields and they're arming torpedoes. So Titan's like told to surrender. And Shaw's like, why? And Riker's like, don't you get it? We're being framed for what just happened by the changing masquerading as officers on that ship. Then the Intrepid starts to like straighten up, whatever kind of lines up in front of them. So Riker tells Shaw, he's like, we have to run. He's like, that would turn us into fugitives. Seven says that, you know, most of their crew is on the Intrepid. If they engage with it, they'll be engaging with them. Picard's like, if we don't run, Roe would have died for nothing and many more will follow. So Riker's like, Captain Shaw, Liam, if you can't trust us, fine, but at least trust your own eyes. So then he's finally like, red alert. And he tells the forge, like, get us out of here. You know, get us out of here as soon as the warp is online. He calls on, on, the, on the intercom, whatever. He tells everyone to get to battle stations. He tells them, you know, get to your stations and, you know, await further instructions. Starfleet has been compromised. So the two security on, are on the Titan. They come up to Jack. One raises its phaser, and he's, the other's like, he's here, deck 10. So two more beam behind them, and they're going to beam him away too. But Jack, like, looks down, then he kind of gets some flashes. He makes some moves, he, like, then he grabs a gun, he shoots, he fights, he, like, you know, flips them over, all this stuff like that. And then uh, the hall kind of starts, like, crackling, and he sees a red door or whatever like that. He closes his eyes, it's all normal. But he, like, took out all four of them. The Intrepid is giving him one final warning. They have 10 seconds until they can warp. So the Intrepid shoots proton torpedoes, heads right towards them, getting closer, getting closer, and they warp out of there. Or they, they, they go to hyperspace. Riker's like, they're coming for us. And Shaw's like, yeah, but who exactly? And he's, they're like, everyone. Send Picard sitting in a room. 
Riker comes up. He's like, I'm sorry. I know what she meant to you. And Picard's like, I don't think you do. He's like, I don't think I even did. So he shows Riker that she gave him the earring. He's like, I don't know why, you know, why'd she give it to him? Riker's like, I do. And he so he's like, old school spycraft. He's like, it's a data chip. He's like, it's their entire investigation. So Riker, you know, he opens it, loads it up. He's like, look at it all. And then there's an incoming transmission. They're like, uh, okay, let's go. So it's Worf. He's like, Mr. Worf and Admiral, Captain, this is unexpected. And he's like, wait, where's Commander Rowe? In sickbay, Shaw sees uh, the four changeling. And there's like four, you know, on one ship. You know, Shaw's like, nice shooting, kid. Beverly asks for a moment alone with Jack. And she says that, you know, she can't, he can't hide from her. That she knows when he's not sleeping. And he's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, I'm not. She says that she remembers when he was little that he, he like almost stopped sleeping because he was afraid of what he'd see. And he's like, I don't remember that. And she says, she's like, well, I do. And she's like, you got through it. You can get through this too. But she's like, you need to talk to me. And, and you know, she's like, you're not okay. You know, all the stress, you know, all the stuff with your father, the attempts on your life. And she's like, I just, you know, I need to know. Then she's like, four. She's like, tell me, Jack, how did you know they were all changelings? And he's like, kind of pause. He's like, I didn't. He's like, I think, I think there's something very wrong with me. And that's where it ends. So what's, what's the deal here? And, um, <laughs> you know, part of the thing is like, this is supposed to be Picard's show and there's like so many other people, but it's all like interesting and, and fine. But yeah, I don't know what the deal is with Jack and it's almost like, is he even human? But he yeah, must be. So I, I have no idea what's going on there. So that was Picard. Okay, so I'm going to talk about school spirits, and and I'm I'm not sure how much I don't know if I'm going to do this whole series. It has Peyton List, as you probably you know from Cobra Kai, and maybe you know her from Jesse or Hey Jesse. I forget what the show's called. Uh, and she was also in Bunked, which was a spinoff of Jesse. And uh, it's on Paramount Plus. I, I, I forget. I think it's nine episodes. Um, but the, the problem is my, my, my problem is there's, there's a lot already in the, this episode. There's so many shows to cover. So I'm looking at, at my time insanity. Plus, do you want like a four hour podcast? And some, you know, a couple of people might be like, yeah, the longer, the better. But other people are like, come on, man. Come on, Tony. Uh, so Paramount decided to drop three episodes, even though still <laughs> IMDb says that there's only one episode. So IMDb needs to be updated. So they, they dropped three episodes, and um, actually, by the time you listen to this, the fourth episode, I believe, is out, because new episodes drop every Thursday. So I think they just dropped... I don't, actually, I don't even... I haven't even, I haven't even checked. They, I hope they only dropped one episode. You know, I hope it's not like drop three, drop three, or drop two, or something like that. So with this week, I don't know how many I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm going to do all three, because I feel like that's just going to make it too long. Ideally, if I did two this week, and then to next week then i would be caught up because the the other thing where i'm kind of looking at where, where i feel like there's so much so many shows you know with superman lois but servant has one more episode you know that i'll talk about next week and uh last of us i'm, I'm getting confused we'll have one more so that that's leaving too and um you know bad batch i guess there's like maybe four episodes or something like that three episodes after after this week so I, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. But I, so I, I watched the show, and I, I don't know if this is a show that everyone would be into. It, it's kind of 
it's it's kind of like I wouldn't necessarily like a, a teen drama, but it's it's like it's like a murder mystery. I mean, basically, uh, Peyton List is killed, but she's like a ghost, and you know she doesn't remember what happens. So you know you, you got some like teenage drama stuff, but but not your typical teenage drama stuff. It, it kind of remind, reminds me a, a little of Cruel Summer, the, the show with Olivia Holt that was on a Freeform, I think, and where you know you had the, the three different timelines, and you know you didn't remember what you didn't know what happened. So I I, I I dig it. So the first episode, my so-called death instead of my so-called life. That the the titles are kind of like plays on on other things. So it starts off. We see Peyton List. She's you know we don't know her her character name or anything like that. She's sitting in a balcony in the gym. There's like the class, and it's 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 kind of a small class. It's, it's not the 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 whole school's not there, but there's like a, like a, a big screen there. I'm assuming it's the principal. He starts talking, and he's like, "It's been a trying few days. You know, police are treating this as a missing persons case, and the kids aren't like." aren't very concerned like one cheerleader asked her, I was like what was her name and the other one's like oh maggie's somebody it's like they found a bunch of blood smeared all over the janitor's closet and the other one's like i thought it was a boiler room and then you know we see this one boy who we see later who they are he's like how did you sleep last night and and it's like wait what was that about are they suspicious are they in on this or something like that principal says that you know if you know anything anything at all you know please come forward and then for some levity here's a routine from our cheer squad which is like what? So he comes to center gym, and you know the screen shows her Peyton's picture, and it says missing Madison Nears. So now we know her name, not Maggie something. It's Madison. So there's this kid that's like sitting behind Madison and Maddie in in the balcony, and he's like, "Hey, at least I use a nice photo of you." And she's like, "I'm trying to focus." So the cheerleaders do their cheer, go Bandits, and one girl's like, "For Maggie," and she yells out, "It's Maddie." And then the, the kid sitting with her, he's like, they can't hear you. He's like, the good news is it's only a matter of time until you realize you're dead. She tries walking away from him, but he just like follows. So he's obviously a ghost too. So she tells the kid, she's like, I've been wandering the hall for three days. I still don't know where I'm supposed to be. And he's like, it's it's not going to make sense. He's She's like, are you sure that I'm dead? You know, I'm not in a coma or you know, something like that. And he's like, it's like, no, if you're here, you're here. It, he's like it's just moving from one prison to another so this is like the typical like brilliant line you know they use in the trailer or whatever he's like high school used to feel like an eternity and now it actually is so then they're walking down the hall the teacher's like hey you he's like what are you doing there's like three basketball players behind you know like bouncing a ball he's like you can't do that he's like give me the ball whatever so he, they get the ball whatever and the kid with maddie he's like well, he's like, that hasn't changed. He's like, I was basically invisible when I went here in the 90s as well. So this, this kid, he died in the 90s and he's still at the school. So then we see this girl, her name's Nicole. She's putting up like missing posters on, on lockers. Uh, the teacher with the bat, the ball, he's like, you're supposed to be in something. She's like, I'm not going back to assembly because it's a joke. And she's like, I'm you know, going to look for my friend. So Maddie's like, Nicole, it's me. I'm right here. She like kind of gets in her face and the kid's like, you know, He's like, she can't hear you and everything like that. But he's like, there's some people that, you know, you should meet. And she's like, that's okay. I already have friends. And he's, he's, he's like, well, just, you know, go to one meeting. He's like, if you don't like it, I'll never bother you again. She's like, really? So they go to this different gym and, you know, Maddie's about to sit and there's one girl, Rhonda. She's like, that's my chair. And then uh, the kid tells Maddie, he's like, oh, you know that that's Rhonda. She's into Kerouac poems and confrontation. Then she's like, is this seat taken? There's this other one. 
And the, the kid's like, oh, not anymore. He's like, that was Janet's. And Maddie's like, what happened to her? But then this teacher-like dude, he's, he's pretty young, but you know he's wearing a suit and he's got glasses. He's like, oh, let's get this meeting started. So he says his name is Mr. Martin. And he says that the Maddie's like, oh, I'm glad you decided to join us. She like reluctantly introduces her, herself. And because, you know, she didn't want to say anything. But the, the one kid with her kind of like, like nods, like, go ahead. He like prods her. So her voice is a little shaky. And she's like, you know, she says, well, she is and everything. They're all like, hi, Maddie. And Mr. Martin's like, welcome to Split River High Afterlife Support Group. He's like, it takes a lot of courage to be here, especially when you're new. And she's like, thanks. And he's like, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? And she's like, what do you need to know? And he's like, why don't you start with how your day is going? Has Charlie been a, a wonderful guide? And then Rhonda just like rudely blurts out, how'd you die? And Martin's like, like, come on, you know, Rhonda's like, you know, that's not how we do things. You're supposed to raise your hand. And But Maddie's like, uh, one minute I was ditching study hall and the next I'm here. She's like, but I don't know who did this to me. And they're like, oh. And you know, it was this like jock kid. He's like, oh, you were murdered. And Rhonda's like, welcome to the club. So Mr. Martin's, he's like, she's like, well, uh, you know, why don't we exchange names first? So it'd be easier for Maddie and everything like that. And Maddie's like, I don't know exactly. Look, she's like, look, I haven't, they haven't found my body yet, but I know there's blood on the walls of the boiler room and I'm here now. The jock's like, huh? And she's like, huh? She's like, what? What? She's like, is that weird or something? Not knowing. And Charlie's like, well, it's, it's a first. Rhonda says, well, what do you remember? So Maddie thinks back. So she's wearing the same, like she's wearing this like red flannel shirt. So she's sitting at a picnic table. There's, you know, this boy's uh, got his head on her lap and, you know, there's like talking and she, she, she looks at some other kids. She's like, do you think it hurts? And he's like, what? And she's like smiling that much. She's looking at the cheerleaders. And he's like, well, I wouldn't know. I'm too scared to try it. He's like, but you really should smile more. And she like elbows him in the gut, whatever. She calls him an asshat. Then they, they kiss. Uh, but then he like makes eye contact with this one cheerleader, which is like, hmm. This uh, cheerleader like told uh, the other t- these uh, the other two cheerleaders talking like, the, like pay, pay attention. She calls out to Simon. Simon was a kid who asked a girl, Nicole if she slept or whatever like that so then she says to her her boyfriend I'm assuming it's her boyfriend she's like I'll see you in study hall and she walks up to Simon they talk about like horror movies and because he saw he watched the, the Carrie you know remake and you know he didn't like it and all this stuff like that and they're going just like I forgot what movie it was but like some revival something and she is asks if if it's okay if Xavier goes so Xavier must be her boyfriend and Simon's like he doesn't even like horror movies. And she's like, yeah, but you know, he's never seen it. And then, um, Simon's like, "Uh, how's your mom? And she, you can tell her there's something up here. And she's like, she's fine. She's sobering up. She'll be back in like two weeks. And then she's like, until then I'm queen of the castle, whatever. And he, then they talk about like having a party. Then they're going to classes. Teacher is kind of a door. It's it's almost like he's trying too hard and everything like that. Cause he's like, like, Oh, Maddie is like, is this Kurt Cobain cosplay? And and the, the, I, someone's like like oh you're dating yourself and Maddie's like oh I take that as a compliment or something like that. So then um, she goes you know she sees out window she sees Xavier like walking out in the parking lot towards his, his truck and then she excuses herself to the bathroom. He's like but that's what passing periods are for. He's like you're not coming back are you? She's like oh whatever. She runs out to Xavier's truck and then he kind of he's startled and he makes an excuse about skipping she's like i thought we were we we're meeting up in in study hall he's like oh yeah but i'm, I'm skipping gym class because i you know going to charge my phone and she sees something and she's like this stuff will kill you i don't know if it was like a i have i don't i clearly i know nothing about drugs 
I don't know. It's like some big long black thing. I was, I was like, is this like an electric like little shaver or something? It must be like a vaping thing. I don't, I don't know what it was because she's like, that'll kill you. And then she's like, you know, you don't have to lie. And he's like, fine. He's like, I'm a total burnout who was skipping class to get high in his car. They, they kind of joke a little bit like that. And, and she says that, you know, if you were going to leave, you know, I would have gone with you or, you know, right off into the sunset or whatever. But she's like, I'll leave you to squander, squander your future in peace. And they smooch and she goes back to class. Then um, that cheerleader girl that he made eye contact with, because as Maddie starts going up the stairs, she's going down. She's like texting on her phone. They almost kind of run into each other, whatever. And then the cheerleader like glares at Maddie almost, you know, as she's going up at the kind of like the, the landing, you know, halfway in the stairs, Maddie looks out the window and she sees, sees Xavier on his phone and she like takes her phone and kind of like zooms in. And she's like, I thought your phone was dead. Then she gets a text from Xavier, but her phone is, is actually dying and it shuts off before she can open it. She's like, no, 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 no. So she doesn't get to see what he texted. But then in the present, Maddie is like, she's out of the gym class. She's staring at Xavier. Charlie's with her. And she's like, he's not doing well. And she's like, I wish that he knew I was right here. And then she says to Charlie, she's like, is there a way back? And Charlie's like, there is no back. She's like, that life is over. He's like, but there may be a way forward. And she's like, forward? What? He's like, the great beyond. He's like, like Janet. You know, she had been here since 1960. She's like, 1960. So I guess after a while, you, you can move on if you figure out how or something like that. So then in class, uh, Xavier and Simon are in there. This, they're like, why is whose jacket is this or something like that? Is like on Maddie's chair. And teacher's like, she basically says it's her her jacket that she put there. She's like, we're gonna save that seat for Maddie until she gets back. And Simon's like, he's like, how will that help? And she's like, because it'll keep her in our thoughts. And he he starts going off. He's like. The, you know, it's just a gesture, phony gesture. He's sick of phony virtue stuff or whatever like that. He's like, and then two seconds later, you know, going to a cheer routine and, and we're draping blazers over chair. He's like, you know, people are laughing about it. He's like, there was a, a sign up sheet for a search party. No one put their name on it. And Nicole's like, Simon. And Simon's like, no one signed. And he looks at Xavier. He's like, shouldn't your name be at the top of that list? And they start arguing a bit like that. And Simon's like, Simon's like, you know something. And Xavier's like, what? He's like, what do I know if you're so smart? And then he's he's like, it's like, I don't need this. So he gets up to leave. The teacher's trying to calm him down. But then, you know, Simon puts puts his, or, or Xavier goes to put his backpack on. But then Simon grabs it. And then the, the bag kind of like splits open. And it's like slow motion. You see like stuff flying out. And there's Maddie's phone. Because she had this like pink case with like cat ears on it like that. It just like slow, slow motion, like flips through the air until it like hits the ground. And everyone sees it, including Maddie. And Nicole's like, why do you have Maddie's phone? So then the principal's talking to Xavier, and you know, because he had the phone this whole time. You know, three days, he didn't say anything. Maddie's like outside, like trying to listen. And she's like, he must have had it for a reason. He's like, you know, maybe he's using it to try to find out what happened. Then the kid's like, like, ah, whatever. He's like, well, you know, why don't, why don't I take you to my office? So they're sitting in the boys' locker room shower. And she's like, how does this help me? And he's like, like, wow. So the kid's gay. Uh, the boy and you know he he's says whatever he's like well you could they're talking he's like you could at least pretend that you know try to get to know me since we'll be spending so much time together and then she's like okay she's like how'd you die and he's like wow you know, skip the small talk and straight to the, the heavy stuff so he says that one day you know the one day he forgot his epi pen is the one day that they cooked the french fries and peanut oil and 
then he's like, oh, but the, and she's just like, look at him. You know, she's like sh- kind of shocked. And he like tries making her laugh. He's saying, he's like, yeah, I was a gay kid in the 90s who was allergic to nuts. And he's like, oh, nothing. You know, she doesn't even laugh at that. She's just thinking, she's like, Xavier must have had my phone for a reason. And he's like, well, you know, maybe it doesn't matter in the end. And, you know, you might not like the answers. So we see this memory, uh, Maddie and Xavier are making out like in the locker room. And then it's like after school, the, they hear a coach come in so they like hide they like run through the locker room they go in deeper which is like that's not good they go into like the shower part so maddie like sits like just past the entrance xavier starts like taking his clothes off and he's in the shower and then uh uh the coach is like wait what are you doing he's like school's closed at six you shouldn't be here and everything like that and he Xavier makes it awkward. He's like, Coach, whatever. He's like, you know, I'm I'm feeling a little vulnerable right now with you staring at me. He's like, I'm not staring at you. And he's like looking away. He, he he's like, so finally he's like, just just you know, finish up and you know, get out of here. You know, but this is a, a different day because she's not wearing a red flannel, so she must be having a, a different memory thinking about that. So that's the thing. She's gonna have to wear this red flannel the whole whole time, right? Maybe, unless she has. Well, I'll get to that. So then in present, she's like, there's no way he did it. And she just gets up out of the, the locker, out of the shower. Simon rushes in, in, in the hall with Nicole following. They see Xavier sitting outside the principal's office. And Simon, Simon's is getting a little annoying, but I guess you have to understand. He's like, I knew it. And, you know, Nicole pulls him away. She's like, you're acting crazy. And she's like, you know, why are you going to worst case scenario? You know, she, they don't know that she's dead. She could be off somewhere. But then they, they see the cheerleader. They both like, look, and they're like, what's Claire Z doing? Because she's like in the windows, like trying to get Xavier's attention. And then she like walks away. So then we see that the dead jock guy goes up to Maddie. So we find out his name's Wally Clark. And, you know, he's he's wearing like sweats and like gym shorts on it. And he's got a Letterman jacket on there. So he like introduces him, himself to Maddie. She's like, now's not a good time. So he said that he died during a football game, whatever. And he's like, he says he's, he's, because she's like, I'm not going to talk to someone who's like dressed for aerobics. But he said that he's glad that he had some sweats in his locker or he'd be wearing shoulder pads. And he's like, and I don't think they're in style anymore. So then she's like, wait, your name's Wally West or not Wally, Wally Clark. And he's like, yeah, he named the stadium after me. She's like, oh, that must be nice. But then he he says that, you know, he he wishes he brought his Walkman or clean socks or, or deodorant. And she, and she asks, like, are you missing anything? He's like, I don't think so. Because she's like, I had my phone in my backpack. But now she doesn't. I wish we know what happened to her phone, but she doesn't know. So there's a memory. It's it's the final day because she's in in red. So they're like sitting in a room. Xavier gets a text and then he's like, oh, poop. He's like, I, I can't make it tonight to the movie. He's like, I totally spaced. He's like, I have band practice. So then, uh, you know, Simon is like kind of sitting. I think this is study hall. Uh, he's like over by the window and he, he calls Maddie. And while she goes over there, Xavier takes Maddie's phone out of like the side pocket in her backpack and he, he puts it in his pocket. So you see a car like kind of trying to park, goes like over the sidewalk and then like backs up a little bit. It's it's her mom. In the present, she says that you know she's missing her necklace too, which I didn't notice that. Then Xavier comes out and you know Simon and Nicole happen to be walking. Simon's like, they let you out? He's like, you had her phone for three days. He's like, why don't you say anything? And Xavier's like, I don't have to tell you anything. And then Simon's like, you should just come clean, you know, before it's forced out of you. And Xavier's like, who's going to force it out of me? You? 
And then Simon looks at him, and he like charges and, you know, grabs him around the ground. And, and then uh, Xavier, you know, he's a tougher of the two, flips him over, like punches him in the face. And Principal comes, he's like, like, knock it off before, I, you know, you give me a reason to expel you or something like that. And then, you know, stupid Simon says to Nicole, he's like, still wonder where all that blood came from? But he's a crazy one who had attacked Xavier. So, okay. Maddie goes to the group session. She's like, okay, if you want to help, she's like, I need you to force a confession out of someone. Rattle some chains and have it the body. And they just like stare at her. And Charlie's like, you're not getting it. It's like, that's not how it works. It's not like the movies. And, and he's, she's like, well, I'm getting out of this place. She goes outside. And she starts running to the streets. She goes and then sliding across the floor in the boiler room. So she gets up, goes outside, runs again, ends up back in a boiler room on a sliding on the floor. And and she, the, then she sees that there's like blood on the walls. She's like by where they found what something because there's blood on the walls and there's like evidence markers or so that must be where she died. But the thing is, there's no body because they, they don't know where her body is. They just found all this blood. And then she kind of gets like flashes of memories like that. And she's like saying stop to someone. So she still doesn't know what happened, but she's getting a little bit more memories. And then um, she, you know, she tries to go in again. Like, you know, she, then she goes outside. She just gently takes a step off the curb. And then she's like taking a step off the stairs in the boiler room. She goes back to group. Rhonda's like talking. So it turns out she was murdered by her guidance counselor. And she like says something. Maddie's like, how can you laugh about it? And Rhonda's like, what? You want me to cry? And then Mr. Martin's like, you know, thinking about what did or didn't happen, it can only hold you back. And then um, some kids start walking to gym. So Wally's like, oh, it must be your memorial. And Charlie's like, no, vigil, since there's no body. And she says that, you know, she, she looks and she's shocked. And she's like, I can't believe she's here. So her mom, that Xavier, he kind of gets stopped when he tries to enter the gym he, by like a police officer. And he kind of gets like guided away. So this police is like, how did the, the phone end up in your backpack? And he's like, I don't know anything. Maddie's mom goes up, you know, principal has her, her talk. And she's like, it's it's funny. And she's like, Maddie would probably be embarrassed that I was here. She's like, try talking. She's like, I, I I'm sorry, I can't do it. She can't talk. But she looks like she's um sobered up. You know, she's like, you know, trying to get her act together for her daughter. Xavier finally says, you know, this police dude that he was protecting Maddie. And the guy's like, from what? And he's like, from finding out out about me and Claire. He's like, I've been hooking up with this cheerleader. And Maddie didn't know. And then, uh, but Maddie had came out of the gym. And she's now she's hearing all this. He's like, he's like, and now I'm about to meet her. And then Maddie just shows up in my truck and I'm freaking out. So I text Claire, you know, a warning to, to change course. But instead, the text goes to Maddie. And since I knew she hadn't seen it, and he, the, he's like, how do you know she didn't see it? And he's like, read receipts. There was a, a, a comment before that Maddie kind of insisted her friends keep the read receipts on. She wants to know if people read her text or not. So he's like, I stole Maddie's phone in study hall so I could delete the text. He's like, I didn't know she wasn't coming back, Dad. So this, this guy was his dad. Maddie follows uh, the kids outside, you know, just kind of walks slowly, whatever. Then Simon tells Nicole that he'll meet her out there. He just needs a second. Um, so then he goes to the history class. He's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, I know you are, Simon. And for the record, it wasn't an empty gesture, okay? And she's like, I'm just as worried about her as you are. And he's like, something happened. He's like, I know it did, something bad. He's like, I've known Maddie longer than most, almost anyone else in my life. 
And he's like, she's a lot of things, but she isn't a person who runs. She has seen things. She has faced things that no one should have, ever have to. It's like, she doesn't get scared. She doesn't run. And if she was ever going to, I would be the first person to know. And he's like, she's never gone silent on me before. She wouldn't just disappear. He's like, I don't know how I'm going to survive this place without her. And he's like, starts sobbing. He's like sitting in her seat, by the way. And he's like, starts sobbing, whatever. Maddie's like just looking at this, you know, all she can do is watch. Teacher tries comforting him. Outside, Xavier's dad puts him in the back of a squad car. And some other stupid kids are like, they got their light, their phones on them. They're like filming. But it's like, wait, I, I don't think you can film with the light on. Does that work? I don't know. Uh, then, you know, they start lighting candles or like that. And Nicole's like kind of looking for Simon. So the teacher tells Simon, she's like, take as long as you need. She's like, I'm, I'm heading down. So then he gets up. And he goes over by the window. He's just looking out. Maddie comes. She's like, stands next to him, looking out, whatever, like that. You see the reflections in the mirror. And then she kind of looks at him. And she's like, thank you, Simon. And then, you know, he's staring outside. And then he, like, slowly, like, turns, like, towards her. And he's like, Maddie? And she's like, Simon? And then it, it, that's the end of the first episode. So with, with that, you know, it's, I, I like I said, I, I'm intrigued. Um and I think part of it is like what happened to her. She's obviously she's got to be dead. There's no way she's going back. If you know she's a ghost, and it's been three days. I mean, maybe she could be in a coma for three days, but how is she, you know how is she being cared for? There is all this blood. They don't know where the body is. So you know, it's it's more of a matter of who did this to her, and um, that's where I'm curious because you know we, we know Xavier didn't do it, but you know, is it just a janitor? You know what's going on? So that that was episode one. Then with the second episode, because so this is why, <laughs> this is why weekly shows. Because that was a cliffhanger. It's like, wait, is he really seeing her, or you know, what is is Simon seeing Maddie? Like how, how she's not dead, or she's not there, she's dead, and he's not like psychic or anything like that. So episode season one, episode two, default in our scars. Which again, I like these clever play on words or whatever you want to call it. The titles, uh, you know what I'm saying. So Simon's looking at Maddie. He picks up from the last episode. He's like, Maddie? And then Charlie's like in the doorway. He's like, WTF? And she's like, can, she asks him, she's like, can you see me? And he like nods. And she's like, can you hear me? And he doesn't really say anything. I think he kind of nodded. It was very small. So she asked Charlie, she's like, what's happening? And Simon's like, who are you talking to? So he can only see Maddie. He can't see Charlie. And then he's he's like, I'm not sure you know, what he's seeing right now. And then she's like, me? He's like, you're seeing me. So he says he has questions. And she's like, well, I don't think I have answers. She's like, not yet. So he's like, what happened? She's like, I don't know. He's like, where, where, where are you hurt? Are you in pain? And she's like, I'm not sure. I can't remember. But then he's like, but he had your phone. Xavier had your phone. She's like, I know. He told his dad he was intercepting a text he sent to Claire Z. Then Simon's like, why was he texting Claire? And she's like, because they were secretly hooking up. And then he's like, hooking up when? Then Nicole comes in and she's like, Simon, because you know she was looking for him. She's like, the vigil's over and people are, are going to search the woods. And she's like, who are you talking to? Uh, he's like, uh, he's like myself. Then she's like, okay. And she asks if if he's up for this. And then Maddie's like, yeah, just just go. He's like, you know, there might be something out there. She's like, I need answers. So he's like, okay, 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 okay. So they head out. Maddie asks Charlie, like, what's going on? And he's kind of freaking out, too. He's like, I don't know. He's like, it could have been a one-time thing. But then Maddie just, like, rushes out to join the search party. She calls after Simon. But then, you know, she ends up back in the boiler room because she can't leave the, the school grounds or whatever, the certain boundaries. Charlie meets Maddie as her, you know, she's coming out of the boiler room. And she wonders, she's like, oh, you know, I wonder if Mr. Martin would have any answers about, you know, Simon being able to see me. 
Charlie's like, I, I wouldn't bring that up just yet because he worries that there might be others in a group who might get confused or needy and they might want to like turn her into like a messenger service. So Xavier, he's at home, he's sitting in his room. He's like looking at his phone. There's like memes of him, you know, people made of him being a killer and stuff like that. Dad's in a doorway. He's like, what are you reading? He's like, nothing. And dad's like, I would unplug your phone for a while. He's like, you know, maybe stay home from school until, you know, we find out more. It's like, it was definitely her blood on the wall. So the lab results came back. So it's Maddie's blood, which, you know, who else's blood would it be? Mr. Martin's talking to the group. They're eating donuts. So I don't understand it. Somehow Wally boosted them from the faculty lounge so you can take. Well, I guess because we saw when there was a poster, uh, like a missing Maddie missing poster, she was able she ripped it off and she had it in her hand, but it was still on the wall. So maybe you can take something like maybe you can take a box of donuts, but the donuts are still there. So somehow you're making a copy. I don't know. So Wally boosted him from the faculty lounge. Rhonda's complaining that, you know, because she got the last donut again, which is the worst one, you know, because Wally wanted a donut. Whatever. I guess this happened before. It's like, well, don't be the last one to get it. I don't know. Then Maddie just blurts out, has anyone ever here been seen by a living person? And they're all kind of caught off guard. They're like, that never happens. And, you know, she's like, has anyone ever talked to a living person? Mr. Martin turns to like, well, you know, how do we say goodbye to the living? You know, how do we close that proverbial book, whatever? She's like, that's not what I was asking. And so he was going to give her an assignment before they wrap up. Maddie's like, you mean like homework? And he's like, no. He's like, I want you to write your obituary. And she's like, no. He's like, but everyone here has done it. So Simon walks in the hall. And a janitor's like, are you here late or early for tomorrow? And Simon's like, oh, I'm just back from searching the woods. And then this was like, okay, normally you would think the janitor must be like a prime suspect, right? If this was in the boiler room, because he's like, did you find anything? And he's like, no. Then the janitor's like, oh, of course not. He's like, why look in dark, scary places when the important poop is stuck under a desk? And Simon's like, did you find something or whatever? And he's like, nope. He's like, I just can't fathom looking in the woods when there's so much dark stuff here. So I was like, okay, what the heck is that about? <laughs> because there's no other mention of this really Xavier's still at home he's lying in his bed his phone rings he I couldn't really see who it was but it, I think it says like do not call or do not answer or something like that so I don't know if it was a sales call or I don't know what it was but he doesn't answer it then Maddie's sitting on the roof of the school Mr. Martin comes out he he said he you know brought a sample of obituaries to inspire her she's like I'm not writing that and he's like I know it's asking a lot uh you know you but you have to trust me and she says that you know, she's sitting in hell right now because she trusted the wrong person. And he's like, well, this might be some closure. And she says she's not looking for closure. You know, she wasn't done with her life. She has things to do. She has people who need her. So she's basically worried about her mom because she's like, you know, losing her dad was hard enough. She's like, this is going to break her. And Martin's like, well, it's, you know, sometimes people can surprise you. And, you know, he's like, it's, you know, it gets easier. It's, you know, it's still fresh right now. And she's like, well, who's going to take away her car keys? Who's going to make sure she turns the stove off? You know, who's going to make sure she falls asleep in her bed? And he's like, well, you know, clinging on to the past can lead to false hope. And then he just like leaves a little folder with, with samples in there. Next day, Maddie gets woken up in a teacher's lounge because a history teacher like opens a blind. Rhonda's there and she's, she's like, oh, this is where the teachers let their guards down and we can discover who's boning who. And Maddie's like disgusted. And she's like, why would I want to know that? They're like 40, which is like, ouch. And the history teacher, she said that, you know, she didn't sleep much last night because they matched the DNA to the blood. And Rhonda says that, you know, Maddie will just be a footnote by next Thursday that they'll move on. And she's like, I'm not going to be turned into a footnote. She's like, Simon wouldn't let them. Xavier's still, he's at home now because, you know, he's not going to school. He's watching SpongeBob. 
at school, Claire Z looks at her phone. She's been trying to message Xavier, but he's just not responding. Simon and Nicole are sitting in the cafeteria. So at this point, it's like, is this still morning? It's like, why are in the cafeteria? But I think it was lunchtime, maybe. So maybe like the day went by, nothing happened. So they're like having coffee. And then there's a grief counselor. She's, you know, new, whatever there. She's like staring at Nicole because she's like, who's that? Look, look at me. And they're like, it's grief counselor. She's like, gross. You know, because like she's eyeing her like she's a piece of meat, it seemed like. You know, she like must know that she's friends with, with Maddie. So she must need her, you know, her work. Maddie comes in calling out Simon, you know, she's like, come here. And he gets up without like saying anything. And he's talking to her and people are kind of looking at him because he's just like oh, sort of like in the middle of the, the cafeteria. Maddie's like, take out your phone. So it looks like you're talking to someone. So then he, he you know, takes out his phone. Then he, he's like, because he's like, I am talking to someone. He's talking to her. So he's like, you know, what do you remember? She says she left homeroom to look for her mom after she showed up, but doesn't remember everything after and then he's like, well, your mom already talked to the police. You know, she never found you. And then he asked, you know, what happened to her in that boiler room? So she's trying to think. She's like lying on the ground. There's like blood dripping on her head. She gets up. She feels the blood. She gets up. She sees the blood on the wall. She's confused. So this must be like after she died, maybe. So, so then she's like in the hallway. She's And, you know, you see a clock. It's like 3 o'clock. The halls are full. She sees Xavier. You know, she tries to talk to him, but, you know, obviously he can't hear her. Then we see her, her teacher or something like that. So Simon's like, so you're saying that this happened between study hall and the end of eighth period. So he suggests that, you know, maybe uh, uh, Xavier and, and Claire did this because it's Xavier skipped bio that day and, and you know, he was, so he wasn't in eighth period. So they need to find evidence. Claire Z goes to Xavier's and, you know, because his grandma let her, let her in and he's like, you shouldn't be here. And she's like, well, if you answered your text and I'd be in school right now. So he's like, well, I can't look at my phone. He's like, also, it was blowing up last night. And, you know, he's like, it won't look good if anyone saw you come here. She's like, well, I don't care. He's like, well, I do. He's like, I'm scared. And she's like, what, you, you, you care about what some douchebag says on TikTok? He's like, no, I'm, I'm scared of them and finding her body. So it's like that is like suspicious right there. And she's like, we're going to be fine. And then she decides that she's going to go back. She's like, if you need to talk, talk to me, no one else, which that's suspicious too. It's like, well, what's up with that? Simon's uh, like looks around. He's he's. I don't know if he's in Simon's. Or he was in Xavier's locker. Then he goes like to the shop class. He like looks in a drawer where you know Simon I guess keeps some stuff, and apparently knows how to pick locks because he's he's in a locker room. He's like has two pins or something. He's like trying to open it, but the coach comes in. He's he's like whatever Simon whatever his last name is. He's like come on get dressed get get the PE. Xavier's working in the garage at home. His dad comes, you know he pulls up. He's like I told you to stay inside, and Xavier's like. I needed some fresh air. He's like, why am I being treated like a prisoner? He's like, I already told you why I had Maddie's phone. Then he, his dad's like, is it Maddie's phone? He's like, we're not so sure anymore. There was nothing on it you know, when we found it in your backpack. So it was swapped out. And he's like, what do you know about that? And Xavier's like, nothing. He's like, I couldn't even figure out the passcode to delete the text. But it's like, if you're swapping out a phone, there's nothing to know. Then his dad's like, well, I, I think there's more to the story, isn't there? And he's like, what? You think I caused the, the blood on the wall? You think I'm capable? And his dad's like, I don't know what to think anymore. He's like, all I know is I'm working overtime to protect you. If you're lying to me, there's only so much I can do. He's like, you better hope nothing else turns up to make you look even worse. So his dad goes inside, and then Xavier's like, starts punching the wall because he's so cool. And his like, knuckle starts bleeding. And the janitor at school cleans the blood because I guess there's no point in it. You know, they match it, so why keep it there? Charlie tells Maddie, he's like, you probably shouldn't be watching this. And then 
uh, then he asks her if she's talked to her friend. So, and then in history class, they're talking about the Great Depression. No one's like participating, <laughs> and and Maddie walks in. But it was strangely the door opens when so when she comes in, she, she you know she opens the door and walks through. You would think she would just walk through it because the door is not going to open. So the door didn't really open, right? But maybe it's, I, I I feel like it might be a matter of of keeping the budget lower because they never walk through anyone. When under hallways, you know, people like they walk around people. And, you know, it's never like I'm standing in the path and it's in So I, I think it might be a budget issue, which is smart. So whatever. So she, she goes up to Simon. She's like, the, the cops are in the principal's office. And, you know, she tells him that there's nothing on her phone, that it isn't even her phone. Teacher hears Simon talking and thinks that he's, like, talking to her. So Maddie's like, meet me at the old auto shop. And, you know, she tells him that that's where her and Xavier would hang out. So, you know, he, he excused himself to go to the bathroom, whatever. So then he's like, oh, is that where you hooked up? And she's like, I'm not answering that. Then he is like, what is it about Xavier that you liked? And she's like, well, you know, he was messed up. It was kind of hot. And you know, he acted like he didn't give a poop about anyone. And he's like, oh, that's funny. That's that's how I describe you or something like that. So then they go, he's, he's in this old car and he finds, I think it's like a guitar pick or something like that. He's like, is this his? So then there's a memory flashback. They're making out in the car and she's, you know, she kind of like stops him as they're like progressing. She's like, I don't want my first time to be at school. And then she also keeps hearing like something, some squeaking. And he's like, oh, it's probably just a mouse or a rat or something like that. And she, she kind of freaks out because she's like, you know, what's the difference? or what? And then she talks about like, uh, she sees a tail, so she freaks out. And she's like, you know, haven't you ever heard of the bubonic plague, whatever? So he gets out and she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to slay your dragon. So it went under this tarp and you, I guess you can see it. So he picks up the cinder block and she's like, Xavier, no. And and then he like drops it on on the the tarp. And then he's like laughing when he drops it, which is kind of creepy. So, you know, he thinks it's funny that he just killed a rat. In the present, Simon finds something. He's like, Weren't you one one of the first ones to buy the, the frosted green colored phone when it first came out? Because there's like a piece of plastic. He's like, I think this is your phone. Or here or what's left of it. There's voices close, so they, they're going to have to do this later. Xavier decides to take his bike and leave the house, even though he's not supposed to sleep. Maddie is talking about that they should be able to figure out if the phone is hers by the serial number. You know, just call the store, ask her mom, because it must be registered, right? Then the English teacher dude comes in. So this is a guy who kind of wears like Hawaiian shirts, whatever. He thinks he's like really cool, which maybe he is. I don't know. He talks to Simon. He's like, oh, you know, just don't give up hope. And he's like, if you need a few more days on your Frankenstein essay, you, you can take it. He's about to leave. You know, he's like looking at vending machines. And he's like, you know, Simon, he's like, I read Maddie's essay last night. And, you know, finally, it blew my mind. And he's like, but of course, right? So then Maddie tells Simon, he's like, you should give the phone piece to, to Mr. Anderson. You know, it would be good to have him on her side. Simon doesn't really want to. And she's like, okay, so what? Then you take it to the principal who gives it to the sheriff. And Xavier's dad just buries it to protect him. So Simon finally calls out to him, gives him the, the piece, and Mr. Anderson looks at it he, almost a little like menacingly. He's like, where did you find this? So it's like, what's up with that? Charlie, Rhonda, and Walter are like hanging out by the school pool. Maddie comes up, and she's kind of like glaring at Claire Z. This like teacher walks by, and Charlie like stares at him. And Walter tells Maddie, he's like, oh, that was Charlie's crush when they both went here. So he's like sponsors the LGBTQ club now.
Simon's watching Frankenstein in class. He then he hears the dogs barking. So the sheriff department, they brought dogs sniff around. So he's like looking out the window and he's like, oh, this is all for show, whatever. And then there's a knock on the door. So this, this police officer with a dog, she, you know, she's like, we're supposed to do a full sweep of the floor. Anderson's like, oh, you know, we're in the middle of a film. He's like, could we do this later? Which seems like, uh, no, <laughs> you can't. but she's like, sure. But then the dog kind of pulls and jumps onto his desk, whatever. He grabs the paper. He's like, oh, this was Maddie's. Could this be what, what he's smelling? And the, the officer's like, yeah, probably. So that seems really suspicious there, right? Maddie's con- continuing staring at Claire at, by the pool. And it's like, I don't know what she's doing. Is she like this, the class TA or something like that? Because the, the girls are swimming like in their lanes, like, you know, whatever you call it, swimming. And she's like watching. She has a clipboard. And then this one girl, Ava, like hits her head. Uh, it was, it, it, I don't know for, for some reason. I was like, oh, because, you know, when you're supposed to go to the wall and flip around. But she bumps her head on her and she's like passed out. Declare jumps in, pulls her out, like starts doing CPR and everything like that. They're freaking out. So everyone's like watching. I'm like, are we going to get another ghost now? Is she going to die right here? But then she finally spits out water and is breathing. And Maddie's still like watching Claire through all this. So Xavier rides over to Maddie's house. He knocks on the door a couple times. Mom like peeks out, finally opens it. And hesitantly, she's like, what do you want? And he's like, we never met, but she's like, I know who you are. And she's like, do you want to come in? So the house is kind of a mess, and you know she apologizes. She's like, you know, Maddie usually helps and tells her what to get rid of. And then she's like, what happened to my daughter? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I spent all of last period trying to unlock her phone because I – and she's like, did you hurt her? And he's like, yes, but not in the way you're thinking or the way other people. You know, he's like, I lied to her, which was wrong and stupid. And then he's like, do you know where her phone is? She's like, the police have her phone. He's like, they have a phone. He's like, do you – did you hurt my daughter? He's like, if, you know, she had known what I'd done before she left, yeah, yeah, I heard her. And her mom's like, me too. It's like many times, but I never thought she wouldn't come back. Simon goes on about Xavier and his dad. They're, they're both twisted. You know, dogs were only there for 10 minutes. You know, they couldn't even wait to wipe down the blood in the boiler room. So Simon sometimes, I get he's upset and everything like that, but sometimes he's, he's a bit much. He's like, Baxter, I guess that's Xavier's dad's name. He's like, Baxter's going to cover up for his kid and the cheerleader. Maddie's like, I don't think Claire had anything to do with it. He's like, I don't think she did. You know, I saw her save some at the, at the pool. And Simon like scoffs. And Maddie's like, I don't think that she attacked me. So Martin asked Charlie why Maddie sounded so convinced. You know, like, is she, did she talk to a friend in the real world? Does she know anything? And Charlie's like, he likes, he's like, I don't know, I don't know. Then Martin's like, asks, what about her death? Has she remembered or any more details? So it's like, what's up with this Mr. Martin? He seems a little suspicious too. But Charlie's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think she's remembered anything. And then he tells Charlie, he's like, you're becoming a valuable asset to the group. He's like, you've come a long way. So that, this is a little sketchy there. We see Nicole at her locker. Grief concert, kind of like eyes are in the hall, like it's creepy. And Nicole sees her. She just like scurries away, like rushes off. Charlie's standing in the hall. He sees his crush. You know, then he see you know he sees him as a kid, and as he's like walks towards him, he's like, "I miss you," but he just like walks right by him. It's the end of the day. Simon sneaks around to school. He goes back to the old auto shop. Um, he asks Maddie if she found anything else, and she's like, "No." And then she's like, she asks, "Why does he think that he wanted her gone?" And you know, like you know, Simon's still a jerk about it. He, He's like, you think he's a better person because he dumped you for his superhero girlfriend? It's like, stop giving people the benefit of doubt and see them for who they are. 
then he's like sees something and like because there's it's it's raining there's like lightning so he sees something when it flashes another piece of her phone and then someone grabs him it's so it's like oh crap who's there it's mr anderson and he's like what are you doing here so late simon and he's like i was looking for it. And he's like maybe you should let the people in charge do their job they'll figure out what happened to maddie and there's like thunder it's like spooky so it's like it's almost it seems like it's they're trying to trick us. It's almost like it's too obvious that Mr. Anderson would be involved with this. But it's probably just a red herring. It's probably to get us things like, oh, he must be. You know, he's sounding very suspicious. But maybe he's being protective and suspicious. And he's like, does maybe Simon know something? Why does Simon have a piece of her phone? Maybe he's feeling a little guilty or maybe, you know, who knows? So that was the second episode. By the time you listen to this, you know, the third episode is already out. And I think it's just a four. I haven't checked. I hope it's just, it better just be the fourth episode. Because I'll probably next week I'll do episode three and four. All right. Now the movie feature Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Uh, so um, I, li- I like the movie. I, you know, it, it's, it wasn't perfect. Um, I, I had fun watching it and I, you know, of course that, that's the important thing. So I, I really like the character. Yeah. I, I think they, they just did a really, really good job all around. You know, Zachary Levi, I think he does a good Shazam. You know, I, I sometimes think back to like the, the old, you know, like classic Shazam, which I, for some reason I don't even have like a lot of history, you know, with them because it was way before my time. But I kind of look at, you know, so Shazam's supposed to be this big, beefy dude, and Zachary Levi, whether it's him and the suit and a combination of the two, you know, they do a good job with that. Unfortunately, you know, the only minor thing is, you know, he's he's getting a little older, which, you know, he, he still looks great for his age, you know, way a million times better than I am, whatever. But, I you know, the, the whole, the, I guess what, I, what I'm, I'm getting at is, is how long can he play Shazam? Because, you know, there is a possibility that he could continue. You know, they've been saying that where James Gunn hasn't ruled out him you know, continuing as Shazam, but in large part, it really depends on how Fury to God does in the box office. So um, I think it's projected like $35, $40 million or something like that, which I don't know if that's good or not because it had like a hundred plus, like a hundred, $125 million budget. And um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's, it's at a 53 three percent i think and it is that 86 percent audience score i don't think people are loving it but i didn't enjoy it where there are some things i i think in general i'm not super crazy about the shazam family you know i i can appreciate them and you know how they're in the comics now and all that but it's almost like there's too much and some of the stuff with the kids i i feel it's it's just it gets really not necessarily bloated but almost bloated there's just like so much so many different people going on and that is part of the essence of Shazam's thing. You know, he, he's really tried to make it. Because, you know, time has passed since the last movie. And he's trying to make it, you know, it's, it's all or none. He doesn't want it, like, people shouldn't be going out using the powers for their own, you know, whatever, you know, joys, you know, joy writing or whatever. So they, they should be going out together. You know, if there's a catastrophe or something that needs their attention, they all go out together. We also see, you know, Billy really trying to hang on to the idea of a family because, you know, with him being abandoned and all that, he's also at a point where he knows that he's aging out of the system, you know, because he's in the foster care system. He, he's going to be 18 and he's like, 
you know, the, 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 the family, you know, the parents, they, you know, they're, they're awesome. They're amazing, but you know, they don't have that much money on their own. And there's like so many kids and, you know, when they're out of the foster care system, you know, there's going to be no compensation. So it's like, you know, there's no way they're going to be able to afford to, you know, for him to stay there and all that. So he's, he's really like stressing out and, you know, preoccupied about this whole family thing. So I, I get all that, but I almost feel like it's, it's just, it, it's too, too much. And the other thing I, I think some people were kind of saying that this movie wasn't quite as funny as the other ones, there's some humor in there. I, I think there's enough, but I, you know, it, as, as much as I love the funny in, in the movies and comic movies, you know, I, I do think that it's possible to have too much. And w- with this, it's like the, the stakes are raised, you know, the, the, there's some, some dangerous things going on. When the daughters of Atlas come, they want, they want power. You know, they, they get the means to kind of steal power and they're angry. They basically want revenge for what the wizard did to, you know, them or Atlas or whatever. So, you know, you have all that, that it's, it's not like a fun family adventure. This like there's there's serious things happening, and then you know the the whole city is getting affected, and you, the the world could be at risk. So you know you you have to take all that in consideration. With the, the the characters that we see, you know, and and some of the other other members, they barely get any camera time. So it's almost to the point. It's like, well, what wh- you know, what's the point of having so many? When they're sitting around a rock of eternity, whatever, and, and you know, working together and stuff like that, you know, there's little minor things. But I, I, I feel like a jerk saying it, but it's, I almost feel like you know they they could you know cut out some of the the other families and and just focus on less. I don't know. So that's basically the the gist of the story where they need to figure out how to stop the daughters of Atlas who have come to town. The problem is members of the Shazam family start losing their powers. They start getting hit by this thing, which I don't want to spoil. I don't think it's really a spoiler, but I, I just won't say that. And, you know, there's, there's a lot writing on this. And, and I, I think they just do a really good job showing the threat. And, you know, with, with Billy, cause he, you know, as Shazam, he doesn't have a lot of, a lot of faith in himself. You know, he, he, they, they even talk about like all the powers they have and one of them is wisdom and they, they kind of joke that you know he can't do anything with without asking the others first like you know what do they think and you know he he'll admit that that you know he needs them that he can't do it so it you you really see Shazam kind of like stepping up and and trying to be more of a hero the town itself you know they, they kind of see them as a joke because you know they they don't things don't always go smoothly when they try to you know help people some of it's a little annoying it's like you know, like come on man you know it's, it's like show a little respect at least so i don't know i mean so overall it's just really good and the effects are cool um I mean, we we got you know lucy lou we got helen mirren you know who, who would have thought you know you'd, you'd see them in a superhero movie and um i don't know how to say his name the jim jiman um who hansu as a wizard I, I really like him as a wizard now, I'll say. I um I haven't seen the first Shazam. I wanted to watch it before this one, but I, I just didn't have the time because I was just watching too much other stuff. But it always felt like he was kind of a jerk. Here, I, I feel like I got a little more respect for him. And maybe it, this is kind of a spoiler when it's just talking about him. But I, I feel like 
I just learned, I got to appreciate him more and, and just his manner is just way he handles everything, the way he talks to him. I mean, it, it is kind of funny in a way and what, you know, whether it's fully meant to be or not, but I, I mean, I think it is. So I, I really liked, liked him here and, and could, could appreciate that. So it's just, oh, the other thing that was cool is like, you know, there's a part where like with Mary, you know, she's, she mentions, you know, she, at one point they're like sitting around and, and she's reading like or, an organic chemistry book. And she kind of comments how, if she wasn't there, you know, she would be going off to college, but she didn't, so she could stay with the family and all that. And that's something we recently even saw in the comics, where you know she wants to go off, you know, to, to comics. She wants to move on, but she also feels this obligation. So it just it makes you kind of feel bad that it's like you know the stuff that they're giving up for the, the sake of the others. You know, there, there's nothing that says that she has to like. You know, they don't need her. It's not, not like they they can't use her powers if she's not there, but. They rely on her as, as part of the team and all that. So, you know, you, you got that stuff to deal with. So I just, I feel like with all this, it's just, just really, really good. But, but yeah, you know, there, there are some parts that might make you like, eh, I don't know. But that also being said, there were parts where I literally lol i you know i i laughed and I don't always laugh. You know, I've, I've talked about this before. I can appreciate if something's funny, but it takes like a certain level of humor and it's, it's not always has to be like the funniest thing ever. It just has to be a certain type of humor, but there are some things that, that, that make me laugh. And, um, and so I, I had a good time, you know, watching it and, you know, you're hearing other people laugh, but making it, you know, I'm drawing attention to this. This is different because like with Ant-Man, you know, quantum mania, there was a more obvious attempt at the humor. And, you know, you, you got Paul Rudd and, you know, so yeah, that was a funny movie. You know, you, you look at Bill Murray's character, you know, that, that was just for, you know, comedy's sake. Whereas here in Shazam, there are some funny things, but you wouldn't necessarily say this is like a comedy movie. I'm not saying that Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania is a, a comedy, but that feels more like it could be one aside from the fact of all the other crazy stuff. They, I, I just, I thought that this was a good movie, and um, with the first movie, you know, while I did enjoy it, I didn't really feel like the, like a huge need to go back and watch again. But like this one almost makes me like want to see it again because you know there there were some nice things. Um, there is like a nice big surprise, like one thing that happens, which you know, is it has it been spoiled or not? Uh, it, it wasn't. I wasn't spoiled. I managed to avoid it all, and that was just like a really cool thing. And, and I'm so glad that they made it work. Uh, it's it's funny. Like when it first starts off, you're just like, "Wait, are they are they are they gonna?" Then you see like how it kind of plays out, and and that was like one of the parts where I, I laughed. Uh, it, it, it's part where Shazam is in Paris at a restaurant. I'll just say that, so you know what I'm talking about. And um, the end was, I, I even, you know, I even got a little emotional, like, you know, talk of sacrifice and, you know, just doing, trying to do things. You know, so I, I think it really showed Shazam trying to be a hero, you know, trying to, you know, it doesn't matter what's this, you know, he needs to protect his family and, and all that. So that that was good. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, the mid credit scene completely threw me off guard i almost felt like is this something that they just filmed is this new is this something that you know the new regime at dc did they like kind of put this together to try to push it 
but James Gunn had commented that like all this stuff was like filmed like a, over a year ago, like before he was involved with, you know, he was still working on Guardians of the Galaxy. So he had nothing to do with this, which is just interesting. But when I saw this, I'm like, holy cow. I was like, what the heck? This, it almost made me like more excited than watching you know, the rest of the movie in a different way. And then the end credit scene is important. Um, it was it was fun. It, there was something funny. Uh, but yeah, so I would say I would, I would love to have more Shazam, even though, you know, think about the first one, I did enjoy it. And I, I just think just the, the main difference is, you know, if we look at the movies that we've had, I, I think what I like about this movie, these movies, you know, both Shazam movies is that they're pretty removed from the Snyder movies from the Snyder verse or whatever, even though the first movie kind of had a cameo by you know henry cavill superman but it wasn't but it was and and this one you know you kind of get the impression you know you know that this is in that same world but it doesn't have the snyderverse vibe to it and i think part of it is because the characters can actually be happy and they're not just all grim and just killing everyone so i i think they did a good job with it so I, why are the ratings so low? You know, why, why is it a 50 something percent? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to say what, what people want or what they think. And, and I don't know, maybe for some, for some people, there have been too many superhero movies, you know, maybe they've reached their limit, you know, maybe they're getting a little bored, but I still find it fun and entertaining. You know, if, if, if I had to rank the movies or something, you know, that would be a whole different stories. You know, I'm not saying all these are top tier, you know, superb productions, but I enjoyed it and I had fun. And I, I think that that's, what's important. And yeah. So that was Shazam purity guys. I mean, I don't know what more I can say without spoiling, you know, getting to specific plot elements, but I thought it was decent. Um, it, the 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 I mean it, it's basically a revenge thing and and some of it is is way over the top but that's just their thinking you know they they have no compassion for humans so of course you know they're just going to do whatever so it was good I would say go see it and I would like to see more so that'd be great if you see it and support it at the box office and all that and it's just nothing you know not everything has to be like super duper serious you know just watch it and, and enjoy it have fun. And hopefully you had fun, because that's going to be another episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Uh, I think, you know, I've, I've done some off my mind uh, topics recently. I think I'm going to go back and do a comic this week at or, or a few more issues of, of a certain series, um, at least for, until I, I think of something else to do. Uh, again, I'm open to suggestions or requests. Um, probably do a movie soon again. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. 
So what is going to be next week? No Last of Us next week. So that is done. Um, next week will be the finale, the, season, the series finale of Servant. So I'm, that's going to be crazy. And then we'll have more Superman Lois, more Flash, more Bad Batch. Um, I think there's like, th- I forget, there's three or four more of those. Uh, Mandalorian, Picard. I'll try to do two more School Spirits, and hopefully I'll be caught up. And the main feature, I don't think I've said that right, uh, main feature is going to be John Wick, John Wick 4. Um, I'm super excited for that. Um, are you ready, John? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. Actually, no, I'm not quite ready because I, I want to watch, at least watch the, the third one again. I'd like to watch one, two, three, but I don't think that's going to happen before <laughs> before Thursday. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Uh, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you listening. I hope you're doing well. I hope your life is going awesome, and I hope you remember to be good to each other.